Hi, I'm Trevor, and uh, today's episode of Catching on Cinema is going to be a theatrical edition. Um, as it so happens, uh, my brother and I went out to see a theatrical film by the name of Triple Threat. Uh, it was a one-night-only event on uh, March 13th. It's directed by Jesse V. Johnson and starring a who's who of martial arts actors that you've probably never heard of. Um Thank you very much, Matt, for coming with me. Um, I recruited you to join me in the theater because, uh, one, I don't go to theaters alone. I find it very depressing. <laughs> and two, you're pretty much like the only other person I could think of that could even begin to attempt to appreciate this, the spectacle that was going to be on the screen. Because, like I said, the, the cast is made up of like a who's who of, of B-movie, like direct-to-video stars that you know mostly because I'm always talking about them to you, but at the same time, there's like one or two people in there that you actually do know and can appreciate. Well, and we all know that there was no way in hell you were ever going to get Kyle to watch this one. No, no. uh, Mr. Kyle Kyle actually texted me before I went to see this, Um, Kyle being my typical co-host on Catching Up on Cinema. Um, he texted me right before I went, and he said, I want a head count of how many people are in the theater. <laughs> and how many did you get? I think like eight, not including us, maybe? I, I got closer to 13. But 13? Okay. Yeah, there were a few that came late. There was a couple like elderly Asian couples. Sure. <laughs> like, there was a, like a couple of husband and wife pairings, uh, and a couple of really skinny teenagers sitting in the row with us. Um but yeah, it was not a packed house. In fact, we were joking because uh, when we were walk- walking into the, the auditorium, uh, the poster that was up on the wall <laughs> uh, beside the auditorium was Wonder Park, which is apparently a uh, horrible, absolutely horrible animated film. I think it's produced by Nickelodeon. It, yeah, it kind of had that look. Um, but the I guess the horror story about the production of it is that it was made without a director. Oh gosh! <laughs> so it's just like we have scenes. Find a way to make them work. Movie, <laughs> but yeah. Well, before I walked into Triple Threat, an R-rated action film, uh, the poster on the wall was a, like a friendly rainbow-colored teddy bear on something called Wonder Park. Yeah, they didn't even bother to put up the temporary poster for the one. I, I don't think they printed posters for this movie. <laughs> it, I mean, it's very low budget. And it was a one-night-only theatrical event. Even, mm-hmm. quote, air quotes, event. Um, so I, I think the expense of printing and distributing posters was probably too great. And yeah. I, I'm laughing about this. I actually didn't hate the film at all. I actually quite enjoyed parts of it. It does have its problems, but the thing you need to know right up front is this is a very low-budget film. It's, it's not going to compete with, like, a a blockbuster film or even like a John Wick or something, which isn't like an astronomically high budgeted film, but the amount of resources uh, available to these filmmakers was much less than, than something you'd normally see in the theater. I, guess. I mean, I would argue it's substantially less than you'd see on your average television show or even Netflix original. Like it's, it was very like bottom of the barrel. Yeah. To their credit, they did have some legit squibs in there. Yeah. Which is that something was refreshing. That, yeah. Um, even in like multi hundred million dollar Hollywood films, you don't see that because uh, I guess the logistics of rigging up squibs and hiring pyrotechnic technicians and stuff to work on the set all day long is uh, too much. And I'm sure in the editing room, it's a pain in the ass too because yeah, anything done physically on the set is is going to 
afford you less options of control. Yeah. And you can tell that there are certain instances in this movie where like some of the stunt work and some of the practical effects and stuff probably cost them some time <laughs> and probably didn't go as planned, but it's like, whatever, that's what we got in the can, that's what we got in the editing room. <laughs> Well, why don't you run us through the cast so uh, those out there who may be interested in this limited theatrical release <laughs> and why you went out of your way to go see it. Yeah, uh, um, I might ramble a bit, so give me a, a T sign if, if I'm going over the limit here. But um, my history with this film, Triple Threat, dates back like nearly three years. Uh, it was announced about that, that long ago. So yeah, like maybe 2016, maybe early 2017. So I've been waiting a very long time to see this. Um, the main reason, and I think this goes for most like casual action fans out there, that I was interested in this film is that Scott Adkins is in it. Sure, um, I've talked about him on the show before. Uh, we did an episode, a very early episode for the show um, on Undisputed Two, mm-hmm. um, which featured Scott Adkins in a fairly prominent role as the antagonist uh, he's also the antagonist in this one but on top of scott adkins the uh the gimmick of this movie is that it's essentially like a parallel to the expendables franchise but specifically more specifically the the niche subgenre of like martial arts films yeah so the cast is for me <laughs> for me who obsesses about these types of movies is insanely deep um, yeah at the top you have tony ja Mm-hmm. Who we all know for Ong Bak and Tom Yong Gung, mm-hmm. and more recently, I, I feel like the Chinese have adopted him because he's <laughs> he's like kind of headlining. He's not headlining, but he's featured in a lot of Chinese films recently. I think it's because there's a lack of martial arts talent in the Chinese market these days. Okay, so you're starting to see like people age out. You're mm-hmm. starting to see like it's like wrestling, where it's like yeah. we're still pushing out Michelle Yeoh in the wheelchair because we don't, we ain't got nobody else. <laughs> it's like Hulk Hogan like stumbling it's like the the wrestlemania where the nwo and sting fought and, <laughs> and degeneration x went at it but you have tony jaw at the top um michael jai white who has worked with both tony jaw and scott adkins before mm-hmm. um, black dynamite or uh, if you've seen the dark knight he's the uh, crime boss that gets the knife in the mouth gamble uh, enough with the clown <laughs> um a couple of a couple of other folks that are lesser known. Um, Ron Smorenberg is one of the bad guys. Um, he was he's a Dutch fellow. I guess he lives in Thailand now. And since this was shot in Thailand, I'm guessing he was easy to access. Sure. <laughs> he was he was around. <laughs> um, he's most famous for being one half of the climactic fight in the Jackie Chan movie. Who am I? Mm-hmm. He's the tall white guy who couldn't kick fast enough. So Jackie Chan got mad at him <laughs> on the set. Um, Tiger Chen. Uh, yeah, Keanu's friend. Yeah, right. Keanu's good friend, Tiger Chen, who Keanu, I like to say, basically gifted an entire film, uh, Man of Tai Chi, to date the only film Keanu Reeves has ever directed, seemingly just to give this man, Tiger Chen, a leading role for the first time, and I would say maybe the last, but I guess he parlayed that into doing some movies in China. Okay, but He's not a leading man. I, no, just, I no. describe him as a charisma vacuum. <laughs> we will get to that later. But Tiger Chen is in there. He hits some people. End of story. Um, Michael Bisping, a former UFC middleweight champion, who is just happy to be working. <laughs> <laughs> he is just so goddamn pleased to be employed and in Thailand and having a grand old time. Um, 
Michael Bisping cracks me up because during his tenure in the UFC, he he was good, he was popular, but when he finally got the title, mm-hmm. he milked that shit for all it was worth <laughs> because he, the way he won the title against Luke Rockhold was in like the flukiest of fashions, where I think he was taken on short notice. Uh, he was not expected to do well, and he just knocked the guy out. He just caught he caught him. Yeah. And then as soon as he had that belt, he's like, I'm going to become an entrepreneur. I'm going to get into pictures. <laughs> like, I'm going to do interviews all over the world. He just like, he must have a great agent or something yeah. or a great manager. Because um, I think he filmed this around the same time he did a triple X3. <laughs> yeah, that was a thing, wasn't it? I only saw it because Donnie Yen and Tony Ja. You saw it. <laughs> I, I did see it. Like I said, I obsess about these kinds of movies. But in addition to Michael Bisping, we also have Jijiai uh, Nin. Um, I don't know if I said that right, but she's the, the Thai lady. Okay. Uh, most famous for a movie called Chocolate and a Raging Phoenix. But she's a she's a noteworthy like stunt talent in Thailand. I think mm-hmm. she was like an understudy of Tony Jaa with like his group. Okay. Um, and then... Uh, up front, before the movie started, we got <clears throat> we got this little featurette with uh, the director Jesse Johnson and uh, Dominic Vandenberg, who said nothing and just <laughs> sat like a fucking samurai staring into my soul. <laughs> Seriously, he was sat there, and the director introduced him. He didn't even acknowledge it. He didn't move. He was a stone fucking Buddha statue. Dominic Vandenberg, I know because. My friend made me read this shitty book called, I think, The Iron Circle. And it, it's basically the Frank Duke story. Okay. A.K.A. the Bloodsport guy yeah. story, which was revealed to be phony. Yeah. It's basically that, except it's a French Foreign Legion guy, and he goes to Okinawa to learn some martial art that doesn't have a Wikipedia entry, so I can't trust that it really exists. <laughs> <laughs> it's just about him like going all around the world punching people. And the mystique about him is that, yeah, he has this killer look where he's, like, bald and has a goatee and looks smoldery and and spooky. He's like Steven Seagal, but short. And, okay. And Belgian. No, yeah. Flemish or whatever. Um, claim to fame, he stood next to Leonardo DiCaprio before the fight that didn't happen in Gangs of New York. Mm. So, you know, when they're marching yeah, yeah, yeah. and the two gangs are approaching each other, he's like the guy standing next to Leonardo DiCaprio. He has a very distinct he look. I don't look. remember that scene at all, but I'm sure like he stands out in a no, crowd. No, if, if, if I was arranging extras for a scene like that, I'd say, yeah, you get up front. Yeah. Like, if I have 100 people, yeah, bring him up front, because he does look interesting. Yeah. Um, and he apparently has some sort of martial arts background. I don't know how legit it is. Um, but him and Jesse Johnson have a very long history, um, actually... <laughs> Funny story. <laughs> I went to our local Best Buy multiple times looking for this fucking movie called Pit Fighter. Mm-hmm. Specifically because um, around the time my friend had me read that book, um, it just so happened that this guy's film career was getting started. Mm-hmm. And he starred in this film called Pit Fighter that came out in like 2006, I think. Right. Um, <laughs> I had to go back to that fucking Best Buy like three times because <laughs> like one, they didn't know what I was talking about. Two, it didn't come out on the day that it was listed to come out. And, th- and three, like, apparently it was just in the back for weeks and nobody bothered to put it out. Because <laughs> apparently nobody expected it to sell. I finally got it. It kind of sucks. But fun trivia, Scott Adkins, 
and Jesse Johnson were both involved in the production. Okay. Which, which brings us full circle. There are other people in the cast that I haven't mentioned. I guess we'll get to them, but There's like I said... There's one very prominent one, actually. You want to bring it up? Who, Eco? Eco? Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the most talented person in the cast. I'm sorry, Eco. Uh, yeah, Eco Wise is in this film. Yeah, no, Eco's the only reason like this movie is worth like checking out, because he's the only guy that's really kind of on the upswing to the American audience. Like All those other ones you mentioned have a particular audience, don't get me wrong, and they're certainly worth watching, in, given the right thing. But Eco is a name that your casual American moviegoer should be aware of. Um, for those of you who aren't aware of uh, some of his films... The, um, the first one I know of is Marenthal. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, The Raid 1 and 2. Uh, all three of those share the same director. I, I always get this mixed up. It's Garrett Edwards and Gareth... E- I think it's Garrett Evans and Gareth Edwards. Yeah, one yeah. is the Godzilla 2014 guy, and one is the Raid guy. And I'm sorry I mixed those two up. It's one of those two. Or some combination. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, I'm sorry. But um, in addition to that, um, he also had uh, The Night Comes for Us. Uh, which is on the Netflix. I, I used my one month of Netflix to watch that. It was worth my time for sure, as uh-huh. as it would be worth anyone's time who's remotely interested in martial arts or action cinema. Um, and he was in fucking Star Wars. He was in Star Wars, and he was also in the Wahlberg movie. Um, yeah, Mile Twenty Two, uh, which, which they're trying to make into a franchise. <laughs> yeah, which I haven't seen, but uh, the fact that he was prominently featured in a fight sequence. Um, it's kind of a big deal. It's a huge deal. He's uh, paired up with, what, the second highest paid actor in Hollywood, and Peter Berg is a pretty big name director. He's a pretty big name director, and he's very known for making very patriotic, American-centric kind of movies, so to feature an Indonesian actor. A Muslim guy. <laughs> yeah. In a prominent role, you know, kind of promoting his career along, that's a big deal. Yeah, so. no, like I think you phrased it very well that he he is on the upswing. He's yeah. he's maybe the one guy who concretely has an upward trajectory on his career right now. Yeah, no, I, I would say of everyone, all the main characters in this in this movie and and actors, um, it's not to say that they're done. Like they've all done have a decent body of work, but it is very comparable to the Expendables. This is kind of you're not catching these guys in their prime years. You're catching them after they've established themselves. And it's not a cash grab. It's a, hey, we've got an opportunity where we can all work together on kind of an equal ground. It'll be neat. You know, it'll, it's kind of a, an acknowledgement to fans of these kind of uh, not as big action movies. I would B-level, I guess you would call them. Or... I mean, that's it feels like a slap in the face, but it's kind of accurate. I, I don't think they would call it a slap in the face. It's just things that get released in overseas more often or things that you kind of have to seek out. Like yeah. You're not going to find them in the theater. You're not going to necessarily find them on Netflix. They're out there, though, and they have a following. Absolutely. And tons of them actually gain acclaim years later. You know, uh, Donnie Yen has a bunch of those, actually, where well, Don- the movie came out, you know, it did well, and then it's not until years later that people overseas in America finally realize it exists they're like oh this is kind of neat yeah i mean i remember i remember those couple years there where a lot of a lot of my friends were telling me about ipman Mm -hmm. in in, you know like 2012 or whatever and it's like it's been like four years since then guy but you know there's been a sequel even (laughs) like it's like if you were paying attention yeah you you could have followed his career from the 80s but yeah 
But yeah, it takes usually like that one big movie or something to put that person on the map. Because I mean, to be fair, like Scott Adkins, and in fact, almost all these people, these are working actors. Yes. Um, everybody has a place. And mm-hmm. to be able to make your living do, being an actor, like getting consistent work, that's quite an achievement. Yeah. That's something to aspire to. And Scott Adkins, you know, you could argue his most prominent role, like his biggest role mm-hmm. is Doctor Strange. <laughs> Yep. In terms in terms of the number exposure of exposure yeah, and yeah, the amount of exposure granted to him by a singular role in a film is more than likely Doctor Strange, where he said nothing and was unceremoniously murdered by a cape. <laughs> 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 but you know, on the like the red box or the direct-to-video circuit or however you want to phrase it, he still has a consistent career where he's cranking shit out and he's putting in good work. Yeah. Absolutely, all of them. I mean, yeah. it's Michael Jai White's got Black Dynamite too, and I forget what it's called, but it's like a it's a western of some sort that they released a teaser for like a few months back. It looks kind of cool. Yeah, no, and like guys like even Bisbing, like you say, he's happy to be there, and it, and it shows. <laughs> like, but there's always going to be a market for uh, you know a muscular British fellow who looks like he's been in a few fights. Um, you know, Wade Barrett's parlayed a wrestling career into that. And in fact, Bisbing's almost more accessible because the problem Wade Barrett has, he's actually too big. Yeah, like it's, true. it's way too obvious he's a giant human being, which you want that effect in the movies, but it can be bad if you're casting a Tom Cruise or whatever, where the guy's five two and you he's you're supposed to film a realistic fight scene with a guy who's six five and well, yeah, two hundred and eighty <laughs> pounds of pure muscle. Like Bisbing actually has a good size, especially with these actors where where the main characters in this particular film are all Southeast Asian. So yeah, actually it was good casting in that sense. He, he has some work to do, but he certainly does, but there's a future there. I'm saying like there will always be the Marine six or whatever, where you can cast an evil British buff guy. And you know, absolutely. You put a beret on him, give him a knife or something, give him a one liner or two. Yeah. And then have him, you know, get Indiana Jones goon death where like something big falls on him or he gets like hit hit with a propeller blade. <laughs> yeah, I can yeah. totally see it. Him just being Seriously. the big tough dude. Yeah. Um. And in fact, that actor that was in like two thirds, half. Fuck <laughs> it. I keep forgetting there's four Indiana Jones movies. I like to pretend there's three. <laughs> Don't forget about the aliens. <laughs> yeah, but that guy made an entire career out of just being the heavy. Yeah. In fact, I think um I, I think he was in the Big Man that I watched with Kyle not that long ago for our Irish Films Month. And uh, he was also in, I think, uh, Never Say Never Again, the James Bond movie. So this man has been killed by James Bond, Indiana (laughs) Jones, and Liam Neeson. Give this man a medal. Um, It's funny you mentioned Wade Barrett, though. I think his real name is Stu Bennett. Okay. I I think it is. I think Um, you're right. He's starting to carve out a niche for himself in these direct-to-video movies. He actually has one that came out very recently that I wanted to see. But he's worked with Scott Atkins before, and I... The whole time I was watching this movie, Triple Thread, I was thinking to myself, like, I kind of wish we had Wade Barrett instead of Bisping. Because, <laughs> like, Wade Barrett actually has some acting chops. Michael Bisping does have some work to do. He, he acquitted himself pretty well. Um, my biggest complaint with his physical performance is that, uh, I mean, he's, a, he's an actual fighter. Right. Um, just... Being an actual fighter, an actual martial artist, does not necessarily translate 100% to good on-screen performances. Well, that, and the type the type of yeah. fighting, too. Uh, any time, like, a, a person is cast from a mixed martial arts background, like, 
as a fan of action movies in particular with martial arts, like I, I don't get excited for it because it's a style that is ugly to watch. Like it's meant for grappling and kind of utilitarian. Yeah, it's not designed to be pleasing to watch. You're not going to see Van Damme like spin kicks and things like that's why you sign up for these types of movies. Yeah. And so it's difficult to kind of retrain somebody to like, how do we exaggerate these movements to make them seem, you know, unique and interesting or devastating rather than, you know, just straight punches and trying to tackle a guy. Which is when when you're training for real fighting, you're looking for compact and precise and mm -hmm. clean, sharp. Um, Right. Like, uh, I rewatched uh, Creed not that long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, there's that one scene where Rocky's trying to teach Adonis Creed about the concept of throwing a punch and also expecting one in return. Yeah. So he has him like shadow boxing in front of a mirror and like showing him that yeah, like pretend that something's coming at you when you're when you're going on the offensive. And for an actual mixed martial artist, that's kind of the mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea of like winging your arm out to throw like a big haymaker or something your muscle memory is telling you don't don't do that you've been slapped a thousand times by your coach to not do that yeah and yeah it translated to a handful of instances where um he has a couple of fights mostly with tiger chen in this fucking tiger chen. <laughs> why why would you pair him up with tiger chen <laughs> i mean in in like wrestling terms tiger chen is not the guy you pick to to carry michael Bisping. <laughs> well look we're gonna we're gonna make a lot of wrestling discussion it's gonna I mean, there's gonna be a lot of comparisons to wrestling throughout this but i would argue um a guy like bisbing um i speak from no knowledge of it because i have no connection to this movie i haven't interviewed anyone i'm not a valued source on this but most people coming from that background i would argue are stiff yeah and tough to work with and Tiger Chen coming from more of like a coordinator background and also being the lesser known of the main three is willing to take those bumps a bit more. This is be- true. Because that's the whole thing. Like Bisping is substantially larger than Eco and Tony Ja and Tiger Chen. Mm-hmm. And he can do some serious damage if he lands a blow. And the only way you're going to film these fil- these types of movies and make them look realistic, you're going to take some bumps. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm pretty certain that's why Tiger Chen got paired up with him most of the time was worst case scenario, if this guy breaks his jaw, we can film around it because nobody's signing up to see Tiger Chen. <laughs> but I mean, it's true. It, but well, I mean, we'll get to that. But I, I get what you're saying. And I, I'm being hyperbolic. Like, truthfully, uh, what I know of the man, Tiger Chen, uh, that does seem to be the case. Because the reason why Man of Tai Chi got made is because. Um, when Keanu Reeves did the Matrix movies, um, in particular the, the second two, um, I mean, for all of those movies, all the actors mm-hmm. uh, went through like I think like nine months of martial arts training. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure I remember reading that he and Tiger Chen were buddies on the set and would hang out after hours just like training. Yeah, so it was like his him paying him back basically. And so if he can teach Keanu Reeves, like, the basics of Kung Fu and, and Tai Chi and things like that, um, he seems like a patient guy who could probably put up with a, a non-screen fighter and show them the ropes. They're, I mean, at the end of this movie, Bisping even says, this is my first movie. Yeah. So I guess he did have a lot to learn. And having, like, an actual instructor, somebody with the patience to actually 
go through the steps with him, which is probably a good idea. And, and tied to, I'm pretty sure what you were alluding to, but anytime you can have a, a Chinese fighter beat up on a British guy, oh yeah, that, no. that's a huge you, pop you, you for want, a particular you, audience that yeah, has a lot of money. Some tickets in China, <laughs> you bring out a Brit, you have him get which cracked let's, in the face. <laughs> let's jump into this movie because that's a big theme that I want to kind of go back to throughout the course of this movie of kind of who was this movie made for ah so i I think that carries throughout this whole entire film so it starts off with what is it the wealthy uh chinese um heiress yeah who inherits her family's fortune like apparently she's 30 under 30 rich like you know multi-billionaire yeah and she was born in was it was a fictional country i i couldn't tell if I it's, thought it was it's a fictional country. Okay, it's a fictional country. It seems to be right in that heart of like Thailand and uh, Myanmar and yeah. Cambodia. So a tiny fictional country, the name of which eludes me. I think it's Mahajaya. Uh, that, that sounds Something, about right. It's some gibberish name, but it's obviously shot in Thailand. But yes. they refer to it as Mahajaya throughout the entire film. Yeah, so it's southeastern tiny nation, very poor, overrun by gangs, essentially. or Syndicate. Yeah, syndicate. Um, <laughs> the repetition got to me. <laughs> yeah, it's not military, which yeah. is an infor- important Correct. distinction. Yeah, very actually. important, especially when we're talking about Thailand. Yes. So it's, it's criminal syndicates kind of run this tiny little country. This billionaire heiress decides that she's going to donate her fortune to cleaning this all up, bringing education to the people. Um, yeah, it's it's... <laughs> interesting yeah I it's, mean, that was my reaction it, it's a cool concept don't get me wrong it's very confusing in the era we live in where it seems like anyone with money is just amassing more money by yeah. the second but hey do you <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway so she's coming to town uh she gets established with her bodyguard she's yeah. you know doing her press tour um yeah i believe we start with like some news footage just uh talking heads talking about the situation mahajaya how it's like oh crime syndicates are up to no good but this lady's gonna clean up the town Mm -hmm. this lady um selena jade is the name of the actress i know her from a couple of chinese movies um most prominently wolf warrior 2 oh yeah yeah yeah, that one the one that made like all the money (laughs) (laughs) um um and the thing that jumped out to me right away, and this carries again throughout the entire film, is that uh, everything that the talking heads on the news are talking about is uh, crimes committed against the Chinese communities yes. of Mahajaya. Not like they're very specific. Like they're not just talking about the country as a whole. It's like specifically the Chinese communities of this small Southeast Asian country. Yeah, and if if I recall, it actually isn't revealed until much much later that she was actually born in this country, and she was only born there. She was born to Chinese parents, but and no. so in the beginning, it really is just Chinese billionaire saving tiny Southeast yeah, Asian mag- magnanimous country. Chinese yes. heiress saves Thailand. The yeah, end. <laughs> literally, literally, that's the beginning of this film. Yeah. So it kicks off uh, that she's going to do it. Um, she's on the phone a lot. Uh, There's a lot of phone conversations in this movie. That If you cut out all the phone conversations, this movie would be roughly 20% better. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you alluded to after we after the movie finished and i agree with you it, it's an ensemble movie Absolutely. anytime you're dealing with an ensemble movie you're dealing with tough um 
restrictions on scheduling scheduling um especially in a martial arts centered one because you can't do the marvel thing where you have a green screen so you can kind of work around you know maybe not having somebody present for a period i've been saying that for a while that that uh, captain america civil war in particular the probably two-thirds of the characters featured in that scene are cgi yeah which would mean you know half of those people don't even have to be <laughs> oh no a huge i mean rant for a completely different podcast but i would argue that that was kind of the purpose all along of these this infinity war thing was to kind of establish it where you can maintain a lot of a-list actors without having to really take up more than maybe a day's worth of their time to film an entire movie yeah i mean absolutely. if you can create an ensemble situation where most of it's done in the green screen and really they only need to show up for you know, a little sound booth time and a few sequences of, you know, live film. Yeah. Iron Man head cam footage. <laughs> like, no joke. Like, that's a way that you... But, I mean, again, it's a rant for another time. But seriously, that's how you retain an actor like Robert Downey Jr. long beyond, you, you know, his, his main contract yeah. of being with Marvel for X amount of movies. Like, you can have him conceivably for the rest of his whole entire film career as long as you're giving him freedom to do whatever the hell else he wants. Yeah. Moving aside, though, yeah. So there's a lot of these phone conversations. A lot of them seem interspersed just to kind of move the plot along because they probably ran to some situations where it's like, how are we going to get these guys from point A to point B? I know so-and-so calls this person. Yeah. or Anyway, a bunch of phone calls. <laughs> All of a sudden now we're in a commando unit in the heart of the jungle. Yeah, and we get some really shitty-looking fonts. Like, yeah. Like, I feel like they're aiming for like a Predator vibe with the fonts. Because it has that edge to it, but it's just, they didn't pony up the cash for the good fonts. I, I, I know, it's very tempting to go to the, the Da font or 1001 free fonts and get the free one instead. <laughs> <laughs> there were a couple of things in here where it's like, I think this was budget related. <laughs> but yeah, we're, uh, we're traipsing through the jungle. Um, we have our commando unit. Uh, it seems like Michael Jai White's mostly in charge at this point. Yes. Um, and they have a couple of local trackers uh, leading them through the jungle because their GPS and stuff doesn't seem to work because they're too deep in it. Uh, the trackers, of course, being Tiger Chen and Tony Ja. Yes. Uh, and they, they come to a compound. I think there's some on-screen titles in this movie to give us an idea of where we're located. I think it said, like, MI6 spy headquarters or something it's some sort of encampment but the point is it's like british secret service yes and they're in the jungle in south of east asia uh and then we get kind of a recreation of that scene in predator minus uh, yeah minus <laughs> minus arnold picking up a truck <laughs> it reminded me a lot it's very predator. similar um in fact you swap poncho out for a, a tiny thai woman with a grenade launcher and same difference yeah um very, very, very loud in the theater we were in. <laughs> um, that grenade launcher was starting to... Whoop. That grenade launcher was starting to get on my nerves pretty bad at some point. Um, but yeah, this whole sequence here is mostly uh, the commandos shooting people. We got Ron Smorenberg with the pig with the M60 mowing people down. Jija Yanin with a, like an M203 or something, like grenade launcher. Uh, Michael Jai White's doing stuff. You and I both had the same concerns earlier in this film, where it's like, he's not doing a lot. <laughs> like, is he going to be the designated driver in this movie? <laughs> like, there was a genuine fear that Michael Jai White was going to phone it in or something. <laughs> it was 
it was a bizarre sequence and it and again like i said the constant recurring theme throughout this movie that i i kept going back to is who is this movie made for because you have tiger chen and tony jai your two main characters in the marquee like you know on the poster that was not present in the theater it should have been these two prominently featured with eco front and center um but the way this this opening goes where it's supposed to be this badass like beginning action sequence kind of set the tone it's very difficult to really even locate them and it's not just because they're both like tiny guys like dressed up in all this like camo and things like that but just there's a lot of confusion there's a lot of gunfire like it doesn't really pr- introduce them at all like and if you're just kind of a casual movie fan like you're not going to pick up that these are your main characters yeah actually that's a very good point like to a casual western viewer um you would of course think michael jai white because he's the guy who seems like he's in charge yeah and even michael bisping he has some back and forth with him You've well and they both stand out yeah they, or even uh the guy with the pig you had mentioned yeah. like he has glasses like he's distinctive but yeah. it's very very difficult to kind of visually locate tony ja and and tiger chen just because they both have like face paint on they're both spend most of it kind of sneaking around yeah, and like, they look like they're the help too yeah and they then look you, like they're there to die. Like they look like red shirts or something. <laughs> yeah, and even the the girl shooting off grenades everywhere, like she stands out much yeah. much more than these two. Like she has a neat haircut. Hair. She has a cool weapon. Like she's doing much more. These two guys, yeah, they're they're very much kind of just cast to the side. Mm-hmm. So it, it very throws you off a lot. Like they needed to have, I think, a dialogue sequence at least between the two of them, or show them to be a bit more competent than just. Because the tracking sequences were very bare bones. Yeah, it was, it was very quick. It was very much just kind of like Michael Jai White a- a- acknowledging that, yeah, these guys know what they're doing. Yeah, and Tony Joss sniffing some poop. and <laughs> Yeah, it, it wasn't at all like a sequence suggesting that these guys are like primo, top of their class, yeah, like if commandos. You, if you or... didn't know who Tony Jaw was, right. you would have no idea that he's going to be the the main character in this film going forward. Mm-hmm. Um first major plot development um at least in terms of characters and stuff uh comes in the form of ikogawai's having his wife get shot in front of him it was pretty brutal it was pretty brutal it was pretty shocking um it's he was well cast for this role not well utilized but um for this character um actually like what they did with the titular triple threat Mm -hmm. where in terms of characterization uh the people they picked to fill those roles was correct Yes. It's like eco wise is the fiery, just passionate, just emotionally charged one. Mm-hmm. Tiger Chen is just there. <laughs> He's there to speak Chinese to the Chinese woman. Um, and Tony Jaa is the charisma. Yes. Okay. Like he's he's the guy. Comedic you, relief and charisma. Yeah, he's the guy that we'll get to it later but he's the guy that should probably have either died or gotten his shit wrecked at the end so Eco could step in and get his his passion out. Yes. Because Tony's the one you actually care about because you I, you know him. He's, yes. He's the movie star. Yes. And he's got the funny hair and he's got the fun Thai lisp and he's just he's he's magnetic. Like <laughs> I, I really enjoyed him in this. Yes. Like especially actually when he was speaking English. He's very endearing. Absolutely. But yeah, Eco Wise is apparently like a, a mercenary bodyguard or something. Like he's on The the whole go- unit. Everyone they're taking out, basically. Yeah. yeah. It's all hired help. Yeah. By it was I think he was Australian, but he's working for the British or it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but you know, 
a, a white, a white guy <laughs> com- leading a rogue commando unit somewhere in the heart of the jungle yeah. of Southeast Asia. Um, and yeah, so anyway, they are busting up this whole unit. Eco's there with his wife. He's the only one that has a wife with him. Apparently, yeah. Yeah, everyone else is just a generic gun for hire. Uh, she gets brutally killed right in front of him. Yeah. He, he gets know, shot in the shoulder. And, he does. And yes. they did they did uh, some decent continuity with that a little bit, like two scenes later. You're right. And the first highlight of the film comes in the form of him and Tony Jaa uh, running across one another during this fight. And uh, it's revealed later that uh, Tony Jaa and Tiger Chen were not planning to discharge their weapons because they thought they were on some humanitarian mission. Mm-hmm. This, hap- this is told to us like an hour later, but point is tony joss sees him and doesn't shoot him right away and they they throw down and it's it's a nice little scrap Um, it's pretty much what you'd want from both of them although all too brief yes and again a wasted opportunity if you're looking at from appealing to a wider audience in that it's not immediately clear who tony ja is um to your casual fan um if you're a fan of his work of course you pick up on it right away but and that plot point you brought up of them not discharging their weapons it is apparent looking back on it like because everybody they take out they just kind of subdue yeah versus everyone else is just getting blown to shit or mowed down i think they could have done a better job of actually having tiger chen and tony ja actually infiltrate the place first and maybe making it look like they could have done the whole thing stealthfully and just basically allowed this unit to just walk in, grab their target, and leave. See, that, and yeah, that that's really what's cool. confusing about it because it just turns into a bloodbath immediately, and it's interspersed with these two guys kind of knocking people out throughout it, but you just assume they're going along with the action. And so even when he confronts Eco, like you kind of want Tony Jaw to lose in this instance because Eco's the guy who deserves to, you know, avenge his wife. Yeah. Tony Jaw's just a generic soldier for hire who's out murdering people in the middle of the jungle for no reason apparently yeah now that you mentioned it that would have been a better way to go about the blocking of that scene i think what the plan was and i don't think it translated very well in the in the finished product we got it was to uh, have a like a retroactive reveal because i think the way they went about it was when we when we get to freeing the prisoners a little bit later um, we actually cut back to that when Tony Jaa is retelling the tale and we show his reaction being like in the negative, like, what are we doing? Like, why is, why is everybody dead? But I think it would have been wiser to do it just straightforward, like have them infiltrate and then have somebody of the commandos fuck up. Mm-hmm. And then it turns into a bloodbath where it's like, well, got to do a whole village now. And then have Tony and Tiger like, Tony the Tiger (laughs) have the two of them running around the camp like shooting each other looks like what the fuck is happening I think that's what was missing because I think that would have added a human level and I think it would have elevated the fight with Eco and Tony where you kind of just want to see what happens but you kind of want to see both of them win Mm -hmm. which I think is a really neat thing that occurs in good martial arts movies where you kind of were pulling for both you know just when it's especially when you're dealing with talents of this level yeah so Regardless, they wipe out the base. They yeah. take out everyone. They get to their target, which is Collins, which is Scott Adkins. Yep, in his uh, Captain Caveman outfit. <laughs> wearing the worst wig ever. Yeah, and the worst fright wig you've ever covered seen. Covered in shit with bright pearly white teeth. Yeah, <laughs> like seriously, completely spotless white teeth. Like amazing teeth. Amazing like, teeth, blindingly white. Yes, <laughs> covered in shit, worst wig ever. 
Still got them abs, though. Yeah, no. Ripped had, to shit. Had enough time to grow out that Clean hair. underwear. Clean underwear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pops out of this cage. You know, both Tony Jaw and Tiger Chen were trying to release. There's a number of prisoners, um, of, again, that look like they're from the region southeast, you know, Myanmar, Thai, whatever. They try to pull them out. The commandos are having nothing to do with it. They release Collins, who first thing he does is chokes out the British uh, spook in charge mm. of this operation. Um, and then... Uh, and then I think we leave the camp. Big explosion. I remember because my ears were ringing. And we get it twice in the movie. Yeah. Because, I mean, you got to pay... You got to... If you're going to pay the money for the explosion, one, you got to make sure you have a drone. Because this is a low-budget film, and, you know, cranes are expensive, but we got drones. <laughs> and two, you got to find a way to edit it in there twice. <laughs> Call back to it. I paid, damn it. <laughs> and then I think we cut to Eco being just crestfallen that his wife is dead. Um, he's, he's an emotional wreck. Um, brief montage of him digging graves for all of his buddies, all of his comrades in the camp, and... Um, he makes some sort of resolution with his wife. I'm, I'm going to seek revenge with my bare hands. <laughs> and uh, I think we cut to some talking heads because we need more of that. <laughs> yeah. Like more more threats to the Chinese community in Mahajaya. Uh, and I think we, we very quickly cut to the uh, the fight, fighting arena. Yes. Um, it, it happens pretty suddenly. Um, this was a scene that was featured in like the teaser trailers for the movie. And... I didn't expect it to ha- occur so early, um, but basically, Eco tracks down some of the commandos um, to some populated area, like a town or a city or something, and he gets a tip from somebody on the street that they're in there, and it just so happens to be like an underground fighting arena, because... Yeah. Why not? I mean, it's a martial arts movie. There's got to be some sort of fighting arena of some sort. <laughs> um, and inside uh i believe tony jaw is getting ready for a match against like <laughs> some large thai gentleman i want to say he, he reminded me of like the great Kali, but <laughs> from wrestling but like a foot shorter and a probably equally fast <laughs> yeah he's, he's playing kind of the immovable immo- object kind of opponent where you know he's incredibly large incredibly powerful I think that's what they were going for, but like the way he was framed, he didn't look that big. No, the way they framed him, he looked like a sad old man. Yeah, he looked he looked like he was having trouble getting around. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was very confusing because he, clearly once the fight begins, you're supposed to feel like this is a very intimidating opponent. Yeah, the build up to it is is long, it's but the framing minutes. of it, yeah, he, he really does does look like a confused old man. Yeah, it's, it's a little sad, especially since Tony Jaws still got it for sure. Yeah, and, and he's like running circles around the guy, but. Like the beats and the choreography, um, I get like if you were playing like a fighting game or something, it'd be like one punch from this guy like takes half of your health or something. It's like that is just unfair. That's like King of Fighters and boss unfair. <laughs> That's like Geese Howard unfair. <laughs> but yeah, like this guy lands a couple of hits on Tony, and the way the the way the choreography is plotted out, it's like oh my god, he's in danger. It's like no, he's not. <laughs> he's fine. <laughs> Yeah, he, has, he hasn't even gotten the elbows or the knees going. Right before the fight kicks off, actually, too, there's this brief moment of Tiger Chen placing a bet on Tony Jaa, and 
here's <laughs> Tiger Chen has one of the worst haircuts imaginable in this movie. <laughs> like I was, it, I was waiting to see when this would come up. It, it's just the dweebiest hairstyle, and I, I'm sure maybe it's popular in certain parts of the world. I, I'm not that cultured, but yeah. all I know is it makes him look like a small boy. It does. It really does. And it's a very confusing sequence because I'm not as familiar with Tiger Chen, so he's a little guy. He's placing this bet. And really, the way he's kind of introduced, he seems like he's going to be the buddy of Tony Ja, who gets murdered and motivates him. Like, the the little friend who's kind of, like, undersized. And, like, it took me a minute to realize, no, wait, this is one of our main action stars yeah, here. Yeah, I, I could totally see you nudging someone in the theater and be like, he's not going to be in the whole thing, is he? <laughs> yeah, because he really just does look like a small little child, like, in this arena. So, anyway, Tony Ja ends up, knocking out the monstro or whatever <laughs> and eco goes up to the bookkeeper and demands that he be entered in this tournament so tony ja gets out he sees tiger with the money next thing you know eco's in the arena about to fight tiger chen i was like holy shit this guy fights like because <laughs> like, again it was like the way it was presented like generally in the in the martial arts movies i grew up with the van dams or whatnot there usually was kind of like the diminutive guy that either gets broken or killed or yeah, actually or captured a lot of time they get captured because they're just meek and like you know. oh, it's apollo and rocky four mm-hmm. you gotta motivate the hero somehow or like jackson and blood sport you gotta yeah. get you got someone's gotta get their head stuffed on you know <laughs> to get tony angry so he can yeah. go super saiyan but it really threw me for a loop realize oh that's tiger chen and he's about to fight eco and, <laughs> he's and we to- just <laughs> saw him you know eco fight tony so that makes sense but again it, it's just a poor introduction to these characters. Yeah. No, which, again, I, speaks to, like, who are you making this movie for? Because me as an American who's not as familiar with their backgrounds, I don't immediately connect with these characters. Like, it's much, much easier for me to see a Michael Jai White on film and kind of have a general idea of what he's going to present. He's a bigger dude. He's kind of gruff in this movie. It's like, okay, I know what his character is. These two guys are introduced as trackers that aren't really ever presented on front and center on the film and just kind of like appear and now all of a sudden they're in the middle of a fighting arena are supposed to be really competent at what they do. <laughs> really confusing. Yeah, well, we've been tiptoeing around it a little bit. But a big thing about this movie, um, and <laughs> basically the reason Tiger Chen seems to be in it, um, is supposedly this entire concept, this entire project only came together uh, because Tiger Chen uh, got the ball rolling. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know how much he had to do with actually organizing it, but apparently it came from like an on-set discussion between him and Iko Uwais. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, uh, believe it or not, Iko was in Man of Tai Chi. Oh, really? Um, um, I think around the time like the first Raid movie was out, so not even the second one, um, he was barely on anyone's radar in the West. Um, and the funniest thing about that movie is that it's it's a decent little martial arts movie. I, I would say that the best fight happens in the first half hour of it, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Iko is built up to be like this big final boss character. It's mm-hmm. actually Keanu. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in the film, uh, Tiger Chen's character is going through like an arc. And by the time he gets to Iko's character, he's deciding he doesn't want to fight anymore. Mm. So what we get is... Eco-wise chasing him for like two <laughs> minutes 
and them having no contact with each other is the biggest fucking letdown. <laughs> and I think they they had one of those onset discussions where it's like someday we'll do this again, we'll do it right. Yeah. Um and supposedly that's where the seeds for Triple Threat came from was them okay. and, and maybe even Keanu being like, yeah, that's, that's a good idea. We should do that. <laughs> and see that that kind of speaks to my point of of saying like who's this made for because like Man of Tai Chi with Keanu that he directed it. Yeah. But I remember, like, the American trailers for it very distinctly made it clear he was the final boss character. Yeah. But I'm sure for international trailers, it was probably framed more for, like, I'm sure, especially for the Indonesian audience, Eco was probably front and center. Because mm-hmm. they're going to go into it saying, like, holy crap, this guy's... Yeah, the, like... the biggest example I always use is the G.I. Joe movies. Yes. Where Lee Byung-hyun is in 10 minutes of both of those movies. Mm-hmm. And in the Asian marketing, like... In big quotes, Asia, not not just Korea, all of Asia. Right. He is featured so prominently in all the trailers because he's the bankable star in for that target audience. And right. for Triple Threat, I don't know if there were reshoots after the fact, um, but this film seems to be largely targeted at Chinese audiences. Mm-hmm. Um, one, the <laughs> crimes against the Chinese community <laughs> and the central plot being about, you know, billionaire Chinese heiress saving all of Southeast Asia. That's pretty pro-China. But then on top of that, we have these loose, lingering plot threads in the background about uh, the Chinese embassy like being the answer to all the problems and, like, come to the embassy, we'll take care of you. And on top of that, you have Tiger Chen and Selena Jade having the majority of the hero's dialogue. Mm-hmm. So Tony John might be the might be the face of the production like he's the most recognizable star maybe even above equal wise at this point um but the majority of the actual dialogue and plot development concerns two chinese people in southeast asia yes um and then <laughs> michael wong makes an appearance in this film <laughs> um i told you after the screening that you recognize michael wong from a certain transformers movie that we watched um i know him from hong kong films um he's arguably a good actor he's been in very very good movies uh he's never the best part of them but <laughs> in, a, in a transformers 4 there's that sequence that takes place in hong kong and he shows up for one shot just to say we need to notify the central government <laughs> <laughs> and in this film he is man on telephone with guns yes um he's just there to be a chinese celebrity in a film targeted at chinese audiences from what i can tell and uh from what little research I did about the film before watching it, uh, apparently a lot of the financing came from Chinese production companies as well. And that was evidenced by the uh, <laughs> multitude of Chinese production banners before the film started. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's pretty obvious who the like the central target audience of it is. However, um, my, my suspicion is that that wasn't the case when they got started. Yes. I think it happened halfway through production where it's like, shit, now we need money for distribution and nobody wants to front the bill. It's like, how do we take what we shot and like make it work for somebody? (laughs) Well, in being a movie, like I I will say it doesn't come across at all like a troubled production, which is big. Like I think uh, it actually flows pretty well. Yeah. Uh, Jesse, Jesse V. Johnson is a competent director. Yeah, no, I, it, I, I own a few of his films. He's he's pretty good, and there's a reason why Scott Adkins has been working consistently with him for like half dozen movies now. Yeah, no, it's 
for, given everything we're discussing, and I'm sure all of that was prevalent throughout it, he did a pretty good job of slapping certain things together to continue the flow of the, the basic movie. Yeah. Um, so Tiger fights Tony or Eco mm-hmm. at this point. What did you think of the fight? Um, it was all right. Uh, Tiger... I refer to him as a charisma vacuum, um, both in terms of his acting ability and, believe it or not, in terms of his martial arts mm-hmm. performances. Because um, you can tell he's he's a very well-coordinated martial artist, um, most famously doing Tai Chi, probably some form of Kung Fu as well, or like Bagua or something. He, he's graceful, but he's not powerful. Whereas Iko yeah. was his silat techniques, like the reason why I think those techniques resonate with Western audiences in particular is the prevalence of MMA in Western culture right now. Um, reality is really big. That's a really big concept in fight choreography. Fight choreography comes in trends. Well, I would say all action movies. I mean, it, we've elevated to a level like we grew up with the dumbass, like you know, the old man dad sitting on the couch, be like, "That's how you shoot a gun." Yeah. You know, that's not how you hold that. Well, and now everybody goes through military SWAT training. Like, you know, we've all seen Keanu Reeves on YouTube blowing up at the range. Like, people know how to properly hold guns. People know how to properly put up their yeah, dukes. The, the like, audience is more educated now, which yes. is why I think, like, wrestling audiences are smarks now. Like mm-hmm. Smart marks. Where it's like, it used to be you believed in the product. Now... Now it's you don't believe in the product. You know how it's made, but you buy into it anyway. Right. You're accepting the entertainment. But yeah, the audiences are more well-educated. In the old days, you would hand an actor a gun, and they use it as a prop, as yes. a tool. And a lot of times, you'd have cases where people would like hold their gun sideways or, or well, do something. Well, they were looking more to make it unique and stand out. And yeah, they're, like... they're using it as a prop to aid in their performance. Whereas nowadays, you have on-set advisors who tell you, no, you, you tuck in your elbow and your shoulder and stuff like that, and this is how you do it right. Uh, you have to do it right now because there's too many people out there who know what it looks like. Plus, there's a lot of money in hiring military advisors for these positions. <laughs> You make a lot of money in the U.S. if you do pro-U.S. military fare in your feature. I was not aware of that. <laughs> Thank you, mysterious stranger who passed through the room just now. Um, but yeah, in terms of fight choreography nowadays, everything everything moves in trends in the stunt world. It's really fascinating to see it evolve. Um, right now we're at like this reality stage where... In the old days, you would like stack your hits. So mm-hmm. you take advantage of the framing of the camera, and you'd do like these barroom brawl swings, and just have the person whip their head around. And because of the camera angle, it looks real. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, though, people seem to be pushing the envelope and aiming for as much contact as possible. Yes. And Eco Wise is also a choreographer. He didn't choreograph this film, but uh, his style of choreography often involves a lot of limb strikes and a lot of chest hits. Yes. And I think a big reason for that is that it's safe, is that you can have a flurry of strikes actually make contact with your opponent's chest, and the, there's no camera trickery, there's no false angles, you actually see the impact, and the audience can't deny that that happened. Well, and I would argue that Eco's biggest strength as a martial artist, and, and I speak from it being completely ignorant, like I've seen the big ones, like, but, you know... Uh, what I'll say is that I think his biggest strength is he sh- he shows his bumps... Like he, it, look, when you're in the course of the action, we've all seen, uh, like the big budget shit. Yeah. Like take like uh, winter soldier. 
Yeah. You know, like there's sequences where Chris Evans is going at with Bucky Barnes and, you know, they're doing their thing. And, and it's two guys, the two real actors doing it. Yeah. And it's been telegraphed to where they know where to move their head and all. And, and there's some contact, but it's a lot of blocking, a lot of redirection. You know, Eco is one of the few guys who knows how to, like, take a blow and, and show that it affected him mm-hmm. in the course of doing everything I just listed off. Yeah. Most everyone else are so focused on not fucking up the hand gestures that they don't accidentally haul off and pop the guy in the mouth that they're kind of stiff. Yeah, it's it's true. And even among like the world's most prominent uh, mars- like screen fighters, I guess you'd call them, uh, like Donnie Yen, for instance, he doesn't take his own bumps. He has, no, he has a stunt double. Like, that's what I was going to say with Tiger Chen. That's what stand- stood out the most in this fight with Eco is that Tiger Chen, the whole time he's he's doing his thing, and he, he's talented, very talented, yeah. going out with Eco. But every time Eco takes a blow, you can see it visually affecting him. He's also a very good actor. Um, well, under, yeah, and that's underrated. Uh, no, that's why I was going to say he's he's definitely on the upswing because if he can improve his English, he's actually has a very very he's, he's very viable career ahead of him. He's very charismatic, and he does sell emotion very well. Yeah, and and, and he can don't get me wrong, he can have a career if he doesn't improve his English but I'm saying like he could be a, a Hollywood border borderline Hollywood action star mm-hmm. if he could speak a little better English because that's the one thing holding him back otherwise because he's got everything else down yeah and what, what you're saying about him showing his bumps at, actually it's kind of funny I've always said that that's Scott Adkins's biggest asset um, we haven't gotten to him just yet he's unfortunately like relegated to mostly the finale of the movie but um Scott Adkins, you know, started out, I think, as a just a goon in like a Jackie Chan movie. Mm-hmm. And then he worked his way up and, and up and up and up. And when you start, it's like, again, <laughs> the path of a wrestler. It's like you got to be the jobber. Mm-hmm. And if you can sell as a jobber, then you it builds this the skill set for you that can translate into so many better things. And, and because he came from those humble beginnings, because he wasn't Steven Seagal, because he wasn't given, you know, the leading man role to begin with, he's very good at selling in addition to dishing shit out. So he's a good performer, but he's also good at being on the receiving end. Well, and I would argue, too, like, again, it's very similar to wrestling, but uh, it, it's what's fascinating about, like, critiquing something like a martial arts movie, which, yes, it's been along forever. We, you know, there's famous Chinese cinema from, you know, back in the day, but it really, the, the total, like, Hollywood vision of it is a pretty modern thing and we kind of grew up with the first like kind of like moments of that like that kind of was what blood sport was that kind of was what these all these kind of you know the the chuck norris bullshit the steven seagal stuff like that was kind of like how do we implement this thing that's been popular overseas and bring it to a new audience and make money off it because at the end of the day that's part of why these movies are being made you know because we can't all cast arnold like really that's what it was we all want arnold this big massive block of a human being but we tried finding other guys they're terrible actors we tried finding or charisma (laughs) vacuums you know but i'm able to find these other guys who can do all these really impressive athletics you know so that was kind of the first generation of it now we're starting to see actually guys who grew up seeing all these movies aspiring to it like scott atkins perfect example wanted to be like a van damme but grew up watching that and understands the background to it. And so has more of an appreciation for all the guys who took the bumps that helped put Van Damme over. Well, and is more willing to be that guy rather than just wanting to be the star. 
because that's what attracted those the Seagals and the Van Dams. They were just you know athletes or martial artists or whomever who just wanted to be in the spotlight. Now you're seeing people who know it's the craft of making a martial arts movie is the high point of what they're trying to accomplish, and that is what's neat about this movie. And that was the ultimate goal was these are all people. This is their life. Yeah, these are guys who not only are martial artists but also actors and screen fighters. Yeah, because there's a major difference, and I think that's where the skill set comes from. Is mm-hmm. guys like Scott Atkins who grew up watching all the same movies we did, grow up with an understanding of not only the martial art itself but how it translates to film. Yes, and how to make it look good in addition to be effect in addition to being effective. Yes, and again, that's a like a major asset in Scott Atkins' toolkit is that he. He knows his angles. Like he knows his good side. He knows where to place his punches for maximum impact, not for practicality, but just because it looks fucking awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, this this little skirmish between Tiger Chen and Eko Wise was this pretty satisfying. Um, Eko definitely is the more charismatic performer, but Tiger definitely keeps up with him. There's not a like a, a speed or position uh, discrepancy between the two. They definitely are decent dance partners. I think it stands out too that like there's a few brief moments where Tiger kind of makes it clear and demonstrating that the style of martial arts he's using is different. It's yeah. you know it's very rooted in you know um, Chinese traditional Chinese kind well, of. And that was kind of the concept of Man of Tai Chi as well. Is yeah, that Tai Chi is generally not thought of as an effective like offensive martial art. And mm-hmm. there's a Jet Li movie called like I think tai chi master <laughs> that like kind of exists for a similar reason although that's like plagued with some of the most egregious wire work you'll ever see it's an entertaining movie but it's like one of those movies where it's like can we not fly for a second <laughs> like it's, no, I, it's I a was, cultural thing <laughs> i was gonna say with with tiger it, it actually makes it apparent like it improves his character from what i originally perceived him as is like the dorky guy who gets either murdered or captured or whatever it's actually oh no he's a viable figure he just practices different art and he's a different you know his character is that he's the stoic one he's he's centered he's he's calm Mm -hmm. so yuko obviously is coming at him with raw emotion is swinging a bit wild he does a good job with his facial acting like showing that he's not a happy camper right now yeah in fact he (laughs) there's that trailer moment where he's got tiger by the throat and he's like do you remember me you kill my wife <laughs> for that i will kill you <laughs> it was very uh, princess bride yes <laughs> it's very inigo montoya um but the key thing uh to note coming into this fight is that eco does in fact have a bullet in his shoulder yes and they do a good job of drawing attention to it in the blocking of the scene and uh end result tiger knocks him out yes and uh, then he wakes up in Tiger and Tony's apartment or whatever, <laughs> and it's like the most casual hangout imaginable. It's yeah, like they're fun. cooking it, dinner, they're getting drunk. They looked like they're having a grand old time. I kind of wish I was there. <laughs> like seriously, he's just laying in in bed on the floor, and Tony's cooking. They got they got liquor out, <laughs> and without much, with very little explanation, uh, Tony basically says like, "Oh, we didn't kill those people." And Eko's like, okay, <laughs> I believe you. Let's get drunk. <laughs> End scene. So basically that whole scene exists to show that the, the triple threat has formed. Yes. Um, 
these these three Asian fellas, I guess, just came to an understanding. This is a very common thing in martial arts movies. We yes. come to learn and know each other as people by punching each other. <laughs> Healing fists. <laughs> yeah, so Eco gets them drunk. Yeah, and I thought it was going somewhere, but only a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Eco uh, gets them drunk. They both wake up. Eco's uh, no longer there. They realize that he set them up. Yeah, cops come. And this is where I start forming the running gag in my own mind, where it's like, oh, just tell them you're Tony Ja. They'll leave you alone. (laughs) I would have loved to have seen that. Like, the cops kick the door down. They're just, oh, oh, sorry, Mr. Ja. You have a nice day. (laughs) Sign my autograph, please. (laughs) So they get arrested um, by the police. Yeah. Then we find out that the Chinese heiress is making a television appearance to explain her plan for how she's going to save this country with her billions of dollars. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's... She sits down to an interview with not Forrest Whitaker. Yeah. <laughs> I swear, I was like, is that Forrest Whitaker? Yeah. <laughs> he looked a lot like him, but it wasn't him. No. Um, but yeah, she sits down to like some sort of international uh interview of some sort in a hotel uh she basically tells you everything that matt told you earlier in the in the podcast that like almost verbatim like i plan to give this money to the community so they can make jobs for yada yada yada. yeah and meanwhile it's interspersed with cuts of a mysterious woman on the phone with collins uh scott adkins character yeah who's all cleaned up now by the way yeah all cleaned up looks like scott adkins and uh yeah basically I, I forget exactly what she says. It's a very forgettable scene. This is one of those many sequences of people on the phone where you're just kind of like, can we hit people again? Yeah, can we yeah. just get to some shooting or hitting or something? And it's basically, yeah, she, she, there's a plan, a conspiracy. There's a, yeah, the syndicate. Yes. <laughs> the crime syndicates in right. Mahajaya. There's some sort of conspiracy <laughs> and, you know, Scott Atkins now leading the same commandos from earlier. Yeah. They go about and they are going to abduct the heiress yeah, the or murder him. Was it abduct or murder? It's very unclear. Because by the end, Mr. Collins definitely wants to murder her. I, I feel like it was in the movie they say murder, but it appears like they're trying to just capture her because they do a very poor job of murder yeah. for people who murder for a living. I mean, the way, the way this operation plays out, um, basically she's walking down the steps out of the hotel she's got a couple of bodyguards one of which is this chinese actress who may or may not be somebody because mm-hmm. the way she's framed it looks like she is um <laughs> anyway uh our commando unit uh they pull up in like a van and they've got uh bane masks on or, or no army of two masks <laughs> yes that's why i was thinking yeah, sadly <laughs> call, call back to a xbox 360 reference there um and they just slide open the side panel and just open up with with ordinance <laughs> like everything they've got and this is at least a half dozen commandos just dumping rounds into the front of this hotel and a couple people they get kill hit. everybody but the freaking hoppa girl in high heels yeah like yeah. they literally wipe out everybody else like, <laughs> except for this girl in high heels standing in the middle of a staircase <laughs> yeah it's like if if that's the best your aim can do you got problems guys yeah so the the bodyguard gets winged in the arm and tells the heiress she needs to go to the police station yeah, i'll hold them off yeah just you (laughs) and you go run and she successfully runs so yeah she manages to escape on foot yeah on foot in high heels heels. yeah 
from this commando unit who can wipe out a whole army in the jungle. (laughs) No problem. They've killed two armies (laughs) at this point in the film. And they just lit up this, what conceivably is the most expensive hotel in this entire country. (laughs) But I digress. So anyway, they realize she's making a break for the police station. Yeah. So they hide to... They split up, right? Or is it they all go as one? Um, they split up, and then we get something that reeked of like a reshoot or an insert of some mm-hmm. sort. I want to say insert. Okay. Um, so I can't remember the name of it. I think it has an X in the title, because of course X. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesse V. Johnson's next next movie, so not the one coming out next. That would be Avengement, which just got a trailer release today. Um, his next feature is starring Dominic Vandenberg. Okay. Which is why I think that behind the scenes thing featured him. Um, the group splits up and like Collins is directing traffic saying you guys, you guys come with me, you guys go that way. And then we cut to Dominic Vandenberg uh, walking by himself and he's like knifing some security guards while he's going after Selena Jade. And then there's really awkward shot where the the bodyguard, the Chinese bodyguard lady, mows him down with an assault rifle, and he says, "Son of a bitch!" In, yeah, in, that was hilarious. <laughs> in like Flemish or something, and that's the he killed a couple people in the camp in the jungle, but that's it. That's the entirety. It, of his it's role. not even like yeah, the way you describe like it's a picture of massive human being walking through an open meadow. <laughs> With people clearly out to get him. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, he And he's just walking up and stabbing a few cops along the way. And yeah, so clearly he gets blown away. Yeah, I, I think I think maybe that that sequence was like a gift to Mr. Vandenberg, where it's like the director saying, Hey buddy, I didn't forget about you. <laughs> it could have been that or they, they wanted to elevate this particular bodyguard who may be a popular actor in China. Yeah, or, that could be it. There's a lot of different ways it could be. It's like she needs to kill one of them. It's very bizarre, though, for this unit that up until this point has just wiped out everything they've gotten near. And at this point has taken out all the perceived threats in the area. Yeah. And this dumbass just goes stomping through in the middle of, like, no cover, no nothing. I think he even takes off his protective mask. Yeah, he takes off In fact, they all take off their protective mask because then they decide they're going to go raid a police station. Yeah. Where Tony Ja and Tiger Chen are being held captive. Yeah, so the plan now is that now that we don't have the heiress, there's another there's also another loose thread where it's like, oh shit, those two Asian tracker guys that we we brought along for the ride, uh shit. They're in town and they're in this police station. And like without skipping a beat, Scott Adkins, Collins is like, yeah, let's go to the police station and fuck them up. <laughs> This is when Michael Jai White, too, takes over as the driver. And this is where I thought he reached Bruce Willis' level of expendables. Like, I don't give a fuck at all about this production. Yeah. Because he wasn't moving at all. Like, yeah. for both these assault sequences, he's literally sitting behind the wheel of a car, not involved at all. Yeah, I was I was getting worried. Because I was like, he's, he keeps driving around the back. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, so you, at this... guys, you guys go do your thing. I gotta go make Black yeah. Dynamite too. So then he pulls up to the police station, drops him off, and goes about his merry way. These guys all roll in with no masks on. The only foreigners apparently in this entire country and barge into a police station with <laughs> full auto guns after they just shot up the biggest hotel in the country. Yeah. And they shoot up the whole police station in pursuit of the heiress. Yeah. Um, <laughs> pretty big scene. It kind of got me thinking about like Terminator or something. Mm-hmm. Like when 
Arnold goes after Linda Hamilton. It, it's not the worst sequence. Like it, it's no. actually pretty cool. Like it, it's they, well shot at gun battle. I'll say that. It needs to be said the whole movie's shot pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, like the the color grading also, like especially in like the jungle scenes, and there's a couple like fire lit scenes and some neon lighting and a couple of bar scenes. That, there's some attention to detail. Whoever did the cinematography knew what they were doing. Sure. Um, police station, like the location's well utilized. Like the geography is very distinct and clear, and it's a decent set or location or wh- whichever it was. A um, couple of deaths of, of semi-prominent figures in the scene. Um, f- funny note, when uh, when the cops are interrogating Tony Jaw, I was kind of cracking up a little bit because... The way this scene plays out, like one of the cops is interrogating Tony Jaw, and he's hassling him, saying like, "Oh, you think you're a big man?" And then we keep cutting back to it, and there's more and more people in the room. Yeah, <laughs> and the guy keeps threatening him, and by the end of it, there's like eight guys standing over him. It's <laughs> like, what is this? How things are done in Thailand? We just keep stuffing people in the room until the guy cracks or something. <laughs> but yeah, um, big shootout happens. Uh, Selena Jade makes it to the police station and she's having some difficulties communicating with the people from the place where she's born. Yes. Because <laughs> um, she's Chinese and she can't be bothered to speak the brown people tongue. Because yeah. <laughs> She wants to save them with her money. Yeah. And I, I'm just them trying from... to save you with my money, but yeah. I didn't bother to learn your language. Yes. Sorry. I am going to completely flip your economy upside down <laughs> overnight, but... <laughs> you know that's how it goes <laughs> anyway she gets to the police station she can't communicate with anyone there we get a fun comedic beat where her interviews on the tv and she's like pointing to it saying like see that's me and one of the thai cops is like or mahajayan cops is like <laughs> she's on tv <laughs> and i was expecting him to be like that can't be are you a witch or something <laughs> um but yeah uh jija yanin shows up with ron smorenberg um Ron Smorenberg being the Dutch fellow with the pig. Um, he and Tony Ja have a little bit of a throwdown here. Um, it's a decent little skirmish. Uh, he's getting up there in years, you can tell. <laughs> but, yeah. But he acquits himself well. Um, it's it's not as good as what we've seen earlier in the film between the more, more uh, fresh performers, I guess. A um, couple of good beats here, though. Like, I think he... he like. Samoan drops Tony onto a table or something. Yeah. That was pretty fun. Um, And then I think the scene concludes with, uh, and this is the first of a few instances actually, with an anticlimactic end to the fight. Mm -hmm. And I have a theory about this, but we'll get to it. Um, So he and Tony are scrapping, and then Eco just kind of appears. He's got a handgun. I don't know where he got that from. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And uh, he shoots Ron Smorenberg in the back, and then Tony, like, does some sort of wheel kick that puts his face into the floor and we get a neck crack sound so it's implied that he just snapped his neck doing that and it's like oh so tony won the fight but he had a little help so like it's like in wrestling terms it's like the it's like the guy comes in with the chair and it's like oh the rock didn't lose he just got cheated (laughs) so it's like everybody looks strong now (laughs) it's 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 like i i know what you're doing (laughs) stop it no, it's it's very true. It's the guy's wearing body armor, so he doesn't die from the shot, but it's enough to like wound him yeah. to allow that Tony. But this is the first of a few instances in this movie where we're robbed of a clear-cut victory mm-hmm. that is desperately needed. Yes, especially with a person like Ron Smorenberg, who it's like 
I doubt you knew who that was. No. I, I doubt most people know who that is. I only recognize him because he was in Tom Young Goong and Who Am I? Um, but th- this is exactly the reason why Steven Seagal has never been in an Expendables movie. Right. Uh, because he wants to be booked strong. <laughs> and in order to stand opposite Sylvester Stallone in Stallone's fucking movie, you have to let him punch you every once in a while. <laughs> and Steven Seagal doesn't get punched. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, I don't know if that was the case on this production, but it, it feels weird. We're, we're robbed of like, yeah, moments because it's like, oh, well, that just kind of ended. Yeah. I think there's part of that, and I think there's also the issue of um, they didn't want to overdo that kind of like David and Goliath thing, because yeah. there's there's a very obvious size disparity with almost every fight with these commandos and our three protagonists. Yeah, and I think as a result of that, they didn't want it to be the constant like, hey, the little guy wins in the end thing. Like in this instance, it was kind of like, yeah, it's this behemoth of a man that the only way you were going to take him down, you do kind of have to have some assistance because i guess um but moving along then uh what is it the the gal with the gj yanin and uh eco i think they they square off yeah it was eco wasn't yeah it was eco and she kind of figures out pretty quickly that's like huh like i don't think at this point she's supposed to know who he is Mm -hmm. um what little characterization we get for her in this movie ron smorenberg's characterization is like the fella in a Rogue One, his goggles. Yeah. <laughs> um, her is her haircut, and she has a couple of moments with Michael Jai White where I guess it's suggested that there may be a, a, a couple or something. Because he's, he's looking out for her, and they, like, flirt a little bit. Yeah, yeah, he tells her she has to watch yeah, her she, back. he's like, and... watch your ass, like, I'm, I'm telling you. And, and then, like, she tries to take her gun away from him and he's like <laughs> and they shoot each other some looks it was kind of cute they have a bit of a rapport she's also substantially younger i yeah. think so there's kind of suggests that to compared to the rest of the group yeah. there's, so it's kind of suggests that she's like the younger here. of the the bunch yeah and uh she runs up with her fucking grenade launcher and uh another theme that carries on to most of the fights in this movie is immediately disarmed (laughs) (laughs) because this is a martial arts movie you can't have people shooting each other at the beginning of the fight um very very brief fight a little bit disappointing because i know she's touted as being very talented i haven't actually seen her movies um but i do know she is known in the stunt community um, she gets the most violent death in the film. Very satisfying. <laughs> it was pretty fucking satisfying. <laughs> I think I heard a, like a oh <laughs> from your end of the theater. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Eco jacks her grenade launcher for, from her, and she's laying on the floor, like pinned up against the wall, and he just blasts her. <laughs> and it's not a fiery explosion. No, she explodes. It is a gooey explosion. <laughs> it's very tasty. I kind of liked it. I thought it was hilarious. It was a goo! Yeah, so then they escape the police station. Yeah, now uh, they have the girl with them. Yes, they've taken out two commandos. Yeah, is, think... is this the, uh, the foot chase through the market? Yes. Extended foot chase through the market. Um, at this point, I think it's Michael Bisping and Scott Adkins paired up with each other. Yes, uh, because Michael Jai White refuses to leave yeah, the comfort he, he of the does, van. He, he doesn't run, man. He he needs his AC in his van. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I, th- I think he try, tries to follow them in the van or something. But yeah, it's it's this brief little foot chase. Um, the whole time I was thinking like, 
I don't know if they choreographed this. I think they just ran around in Thailand and like all the cars stopping and almost running them over were probably just legit. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but uh, I think the scene ends with them getting away. Scott Adkins is pissed. Um, he has some zingers in this movie. They're actually quite funny. Mm-hmm. He's, his acting has improved quite a bit. Um, he's very charismatic. He has some good lines in here, one of which is him like, yelling like fuck <laughs> and like michael bisping is like tired of taking his shit and scott adkins has to lay it out to him it's like we're running around the streets of mahajaya with assault rifles and tactical gear there are people looking at us all the time this is not good <laughs> michael bisping's like yes you have a point <laughs> so the idea at this point is we need to get the guys the trackers and the girl but at the same time, we have to evade the authorities and stuff. Right. And I think Scott Adkins gets another phone call from Mystery Lady at this point. He's also getting calls from Michael Wong. The back, it's of, also, the back of Michael Wong's head, by the it's way. It's also very confusing because at this point, he's like kind of like... He breaks off like briefly to pursue on foot on his own. Mm-hmm. And yeah. lets the other two get in the van. Yeah, he's like, Michael Bisping, get in the van. Michael Jai White's getting lonely. <laughs> and again, he's still running around with full weapons and stuff in the middle of, you know, this crowded marketplace. Yeah. Very yeah. distinctive. Like, it's confusing, but what it leads to is him encountering Eco. Eco at this point, you know, kind of lays, like, I'm going to help you find these guys. Yeah. Um, he's like, I want what you want. Um I've been tracing these guys for a long time. I can help you find them. And he manages to win him over, and we start to get this, like, Yojimbo kind of vibe a bit, where he's yeah. like, trying to play both sides or something. Yeah, which made more sense the beginning with the brutal killing of his wife, I'd say, because it really is an unnecessary sequence just because all you really needed to do was have a guy who happened to be a part of this random detachment in the jungle that all of the people he was living with are dead now yeah um, that's really all he needed to be the avenging figure in this movie i think they had to add the dead wife component to where you didn't know at the very end if he wanted everyone dead you know like what was his end game i think if he had a singular target Mm -hmm. it would have been a lot better yeah no it it makes her a weird tone with this because at this point you really aren't certain like is he really trying to kill those the two guys that he had and he was just weakened from the fight with them well yeah i mean he was the one who called the cops on them yes and got them drunk intentionally to do so so you're kind of questioning it but at the same time not because the title of the movie is triple threat Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it's a little muddled especially because he's the emotionally charged member of the group he's the one that in a cleaner script should be the center of the story actually right he's the one that you should be most invested in um but the, his approach, this this whole like subterfuge kind of angle he's playing, is wrong mm-hmm. because the way he approached Tiger Chen is correct. You know this explosion of anger um, when he sees Scott Adkins and is in close quarters with him, you would expect him to lash out at him or something. And in fact, there's a scene a little later in the movie where he's riding in the back seat with like all the bad guys, <laughs> and it's like. Do them now! Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, fucking, they're right there! So, like, this Count of Monte Cristo shit feels like it... It, I get what they're doing, but it doesn't fit this character. Yeah. And I think it would have been remedied if there was exactly one person he could blame for his wife's death. Yes. Where he's like, you are my target, not the whole unit, just that one guy. Mm-hmm. 
And then you could also play up the the double agent angle where it's like he's only helping himself to get to that one person. So when he's helping Tony and Tiger, maybe he's dicking them. I think that some of it's that, and I think some of it too is again playing to the strengths of these characters because anytime you're dealing with the ensemble stuff, like you do have to do a certain level of fan service along the way where you're kind of acknowledging like how this person became a prevalent figure like you saw a lot of that with the expendables being the most obvious one where it's just kind of like you know there's a little callbacks to previous films eco like he's a good actor Mm -hmm. and i think that the difference between him and the other two of the big three uh, tony job has a natural charisma about him and he's super fun but most of his movies, like, they almost, uh, you've always described them as being almost like a skateboarding video. Yeah. Like, it's it's more about the stunt work and the fighting choreography and everything else is just kind of fill in to move the plot along. I mean, for he made a movie about a freaking elephant, for no, Christ's he, sake. He's like, kind of similar to Dave Bautista in the sense that he was never asked to act yeah. in, until when they finally made him, until they gave him a mic. It's like, oh, shit he's good (laughs) well and when you allow it to kind of certain natural things to come forward yeah like with dave batista it's like you realize like no he can actually be really funny or even charming like if he needs to be and you get weird weird roles like in specter where it's like he's a mute villain (laughs) it's Mm -hmm. like he's a good talker though and he's genuinely funny and engaging yeah why would you do that it's like oh it's because we started shooting that before all that guardian shit took over right but yeah, Tony Tony is the fun character and I I do think that he was the one that probably should have been the Jackson. He probably <laughs> should have got his head stepped on at some point. But at this point, like it turns into like a full on chase movie. Yes. It's kind of set at a breakneck pace, although unfortunately the plot diversions keep cropping up in the form of these talking heads and phone calls. There's this old Chinese man with <laughs> like, a, like a fucking card table <laughs> and like a Chinese flag behind him that he just looks so lonely in like this barren office environment <laughs> and he keeps making phone calls that nobody nobody wants to pick up and he's just trying to save the billionaire heiress and he has this poor assistant guy that keeps running in and like reporting things that we just saw in the movie like five minutes earlier <laughs> the old Chinese man reacts to it makes a phone call nothing comes of it the point yeah. is, he's trying to save the heiress from his desk. <laughs> and again, these are things that are just thrown in there to really keep it from just being one continuous action sequence. Although, maybe it should have been. <laughs> I mean, yes. Yes, it probably should have been, because the action sequences are fantastic. It's The, the yeah. problem is, is there's too much of this stuff that kind of derails it from time to time. So they're making a break for the embassy, but that's eco conveyed that that's where they're gonna go so naturally so mm-hmm. commando unit kind of breaks off and causes a diversion or explosion something to block the the traffic to that area yeah um so they're stuck in traffic trying to figure out a way to get there and get spotted by the commando unit yeah michael bisping is the most conspicuous <laughs> like soldier there's ever been his, his, He's, he 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 tents his hands over his <laughs> eyes because it, it's it's sunny in Thailand and he's just like who's that over there oh it's them and he's just like full on like Terminator sprints at them 
this like gigantic white man in Thailand running at you. And again, there's no police like report out there that these same giant fellows in the same commando gear in the same van that just shot up the main police station yeah. and the biggest hotel in the area are just standing around by the Chinese embassy. The Chinese fucking embassy. <laughs> So, anyway, they, in a stolen car, Tony Ja, Tiger Chen, and the gal peel off and try to make an escape, yeah. and Scott Adkins on foot tracks them down, heads them off, and darts down an alleyway, and leaps out, <laughs> and immediately gets hit by their car. <laughs> I thought he was dead. <laughs> I was so scared that he was dead. Like, I've had this happen in other movies. Like... Um, executive decision. Yeah. When Steven Steven Seagal goes out the stealth bomber, it's like, oh, fuck! Steven Seagal never dies! Emilio Estevez in the beginning of Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible, the elevator. It's just like, no! (laughs) It's too early for that! But yeah, this is a trailer shot that I remember seeing, and I was like, that better not be how Scott Adkins leaves this film. Yeah. It's just this beautiful side angle of Scott Adkins just charging down this alley. I don't even know if he sees the car. <laughs> the car zips by. He jumps right in front of it. Wow! <laughs> on the windshield. And the best part is he's like propped up on the windshield. The gal's driving. She's scared. Oh, yeah, by the way, in the behind the scenes feature it after the credits, uh, apparently she had to do her own stunt driving. Uh, I suspect it was budget related uh she insists it was because the stunt driver she was better than the stunt driver according to the director yeah we'll see <laughs> but anyway the best part is that scott adkins is perched on the windshield and he's not done <laughs> he starts hammer fisting the windshield and the first couple hits you're like oh you know he's not getting in and then boom <laughs> he's in <laughs> it's like oh shit that was effective um and then he just like does a t-1000 roll off of the windshield and gets up not even dust on him he's fine he's actually kind of pissed <laughs> and like they, they uh, i think they crash they crash yeah. yeah like in front of the embassy but they manage to escape and yes eco helps them elude the, the tracking of the commandos by giving some disinformation and being altogether not helpful at all <laughs> and michael it needs to be said that michael jai white is on to him at this point Yes, Michael um, Jai White has suspicions that something's off. Yeah, this is this is the beginning of a feud between the two of them. <laughs> Which, what would have convinced you of that when this man just always happens to be in the places that you're trying to go and always one step behind what, what your target is? But. Oh yeah, and whenever they're chasing them on foot, he's stationary. Yeah. <laughs> like he's just kind of watching. <laughs> Seriously, he never chases them or even draws his gun or anything. Yeah. So then he directs them to another police station, I believe. Is this the restaurant? Yeah, that's why it is. I think it's they, a restaurant. I think, yeah, they, they go into uh, uh, Only God Forgives town. Yeah. <laughs> uh, lots of neon lighting in here. It's some sort of like mini mall-esque thing, but it's, it's really cramped. and There's a lot of flame red neons and stuff going on. And uh, they take refuge in some sort of restaurant, and we get an attempt at like a tension building scene where Michael Bisping goes in says some not so good dialogue <laughs> well he it's it's like a two stage line where it's like a health inspector mm-hmm. and they says I'm the rat exterminator it's like just leave out the second part 
mm-hmm. and you're fine. Because like he had me, he had me for a second. They added that second part. Man, you lost it. <laughs> Good thing you're talking to a guy who probably doesn't speak the best English. He doesn't know any better. Um, and it turns out they're in like the the grease vent. And when they came out of there, I was like. <laughs> I was like, are they gonna come out like just covered and blah? No, they're fine. Yeah, no. They're, yeah. Uh, somewhere they're they're up in the <laughs> ceiling. It's very similar to the vent scene in uh, Die Hard. Yeah, it's like, where it's just kind of like it's very should be very obvious to the villain that's looking exactly where they're at, and somehow they completely miss it. <laughs> I mean, at that point, like Carl, you would expect. I mean, he's alpha human being it, you would think his nose would smell fucking bruce willis's sweat up in yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> that wife beater is pretty soaked by then but um there is a callback to die hard in this movie other than the vent scene which is cute because again these are action movies made by action fans absolutely um but yeah they uh they managed to elude michael bisping and we get like a a quiet moment um, mm-hmm. Earlier in the film, I think we get like a scene with uh, the commandos all having a beer together, and yeah, they have a few of those. Yeah, right? they have a few of those, so you can see that they're all chummy. I mean, if we're being a hundred percent honest here, they're framed as the villains, but they're all charismatic actors that I like. So, like Michael Jai White, even if he's supposed to be the bad guy, I'm like, hey. <laughs> like, well, it, it, that's <laughs> again, uh, you know, my same stupid point I keep going back to, yeah. but it's like, who's this movie made for? And that's where it gets difficult at times because we're Americans watching a movie that is in theory foreign, but we're in America watching this movie and it's very confusing seeing this commando unit that you change two things could be the good guys of this film very easily. Easily. And so it is like some of the framing of it is a little confusing because in there are moments where you just kind of watch him and it's like these all seem like decent dudes. <laughs> like I mean, honestly, they, they give Scott Adkins some casual racism that that is effective. Like, he has some actually pretty funny. Well, but even the way they treat <laughs> treat Eco, like yeah. they just kind of have met this guy in the street and all of a sudden they're buying him a beer and hanging out with him and slapping him on the back and stuff. Like they're <laughs> very like nice fellows yeah. for being murderous, horrible people. Like, yeah, they're they're not the worst guys in the world when you, it, once you get to know them. But that's kind of <laughs> what I'm saying. Like it it, it confuses you at times well, because it's like calling back to wrestling. This is why you don't have face versus face matches because it's very confusing. Mm-hmm. Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan was an oddity at the time. It's like this doesn't happen because the audience doesn't know how to feel. Yeah. And when I see Michael Jai White being punched by people, I'm like, no. <laughs> but then when he punches the other person, who I also like, I go, <laughs> and it, it leads to a situation where it's like I'm being entertained, but this is a conflict that needs to have an outcome. Yeah. And this is where you you're trying to have it both ways. This mm-hmm. is where you get King Kong versus Godzilla, where King Kong comes out of the water, but Godzilla's roar is over the credits. So nobody lost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it it's kind of goes back and forth between the two different groups kind of just hanging out and uh, you get this kind of cutesy sequence with Tiger Chen talking to the heiress about just in general, like, kind of who they are. He and... gets some random fucking backstory. Yeah. When they're in prison together, him and Tony, uh, at the police station, or jail, sorry. People care about those things. Um, we get, like, a flashback. That's right. It's, cause like, it's... it's like three shots of him fighting some gangsters, and, like, his dad is being hung in the middle of the room. 
<laughs> well, and that's his motivation. Yeah. His motivation as a character is he's working with Tony Ja to make enough money because he's a Chinese citizen that his dad and him moved to this tiny country to make money. Yeah. And the ultimate goal is to move back to China. Yeah. And apparently in the flashback sequence, it suggested that all the syndicate, the, the main overarching villains of this film, are the ones who kind of um, have were putting the squeeze on him and his dad like, yeah. for money and that that's the reason they want to escape. So immediately that's supposed to be the connection between him and this heiress that like in many ways they're the same but different sort of thing and that she grew up here and always wanted to fix it but returned to see, her homeland and see, it, if if you had a better actor and added some more layers to this character again this is something you could do something interesting with, where you have a character who's motivated by money mm -hmm. in a situation where there's money to be made mm -hmm. if he wasn't the stoic Leonardo of the Ninja Turtles of this group <laughs> the guy who all he's Captain America Captain China um, he just always makes the right choice doesn't have many layers to him he's just a good guy but given his circumstances it would probably be in, be interesting for him to maybe consider like I could take the money and run and then you get that classic action movie moment where Han Solo shows up where it's like oh he ditched us fuck that guy and then he shows up at the end you know like well and I again like I think if there were more acting chops with some of these people you're dealing with in this movie that would be possible because i think what would have been a much more fascinating plot point is that he's the guy who's like this is my ticket right here yeah like i'm gonna make money off of this woman <laughs> like yeah. instead he plays out exactly like you're describing which is he's the you know just the white knight figure essentially yeah um it, i think it would have been more interesting to have at least I mean, that, that's what you needed in this group is one offbeat element to the group where it's like, we're not all on the same page, but we get there because, I mean, that's part of the appeal of any team-up movie. That's yeah. how the Avengers worked. That's how, like, that's how you do it is you get the band together. Uh, they have a little skirmish midway through the movie and at the end, they click. But I think that the biggest thing with him was just that, again, it's... Like, what is he supposed to represent? Yeah. And the overarching theme of this is kind of this Chinese nationalism that plays throughout it. And, you know, he's like, oh, Chinese heiress is in danger. I must do everything in my power to save her. Well, and, even the, the bodyguard lady. Her, yeah. Her dialogue, like, I don't know if it was... She's, like, itching to throw herself in front of a bullet for this. Yeah, no, she's... From the first second you encounter She is, like upset that she is not dead by the end I of think she movie. even mentions it at the end that she wishes she had died and <laughs> like no joke like this lady is all about like I will lay down on the sword I will lay down on all the swords so long as you survive special yeah. person right so he's I mean his character gets hindered by that and Tony Jaa at this point he's cooking and that's kind of his he's the goofy cook guy who makes Apparently he was a field cook when he was in some sort of military unit. He yeah. can cook amazing food out of anything. So he makes them a wonderful dinner. They all drink a bunch of beer, which is always the smartest thing to do when you're being pursued by crazy commando yeah. units. The... Singha got paid, by the way. <laughs> Big time. Yeah, so they basically get drunk and eat all night. Um, but the commando unit does the same thing. Yeah, both. so both parties are hungover by the time they meet. Yeah. <laughs> And then, 
some basically Tony Ja is it Tony Ja or is it at this point it gets confusing because again there's so many of these moments where is important it, plot points are happening just to give a reason why these characters time travel to whichever location they're going to. Yeah. I believe it's Tony Ja. Oh, because he had mentioned earlier that he grew up in the area of the country they're in. Yeah. So he knows where the local syndicate is. And if they're going to fix this, they're going to have to go get some weaponry. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, I think they call Scott Adkins. They have his number. <laughs> um, yeah. Actually, they call Michael Jai White. Uh, and there's a very cute scene here where they're in some sort of market or bar. Same thing. Pretty cool place. Um, Michael Jai White is looking at bootleg DVDs. He's, <laughs> he's going, shit, shit, shit. But the last one he picks out, he says, oh, Donnie and Samo. <laughs> and it's like, oh, he's talking about, you know, real martial arts movies. I was yeah, like, That's I love that. But it's, it's like looking at a kid, like, sorting through baseball cards. Like, got it, got it, need it, got it. But he's like, shit, shit. <laughs> it was cute. I liked it. Um. But yeah, he gets a call. He gets a FaceTime on his <laughs> on his fucking cell phone, and he's like, "Hey, Collins, got a call from Tony Jaa." <laughs> right. And uh, they they have a video chat, and they decide to, they're going to do an exchange. Tony Jaa's like, "I got your woman that you want, and uh, I want a hundred thousand dollars." <laughs> <laughs> That's totally all I could think about was Austin Powers. Yeah. Like, like, you know, I mean, you can like see him like turning the numbers over in his yeah. head, like, "Don't ask for too much, not too little, a uh, hundred thousand dollars." Shifty eyes, <laughs> like that was that was a good one, right? And Collins is like, "Yeah, sure, <laughs> like hundred thousand dollars for a billionaire heiress? Why not?" <laughs> um, and so they hang up, and Scott Adkins gets some fun dialogue here. Um, he asks Michael Jai White to re- recruit some locals. Shooters, as he calls them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Michael Sawyer's like, shooters. <laughs> but yeah, they have a fun exchange, and it's basically set up that Scott Adkins is going to meet them. I think it was the old Polo Club? Yeah, I forget what they I think said. That's what it's, they... it's an old rundown yeah, building. I think it's it was... actually a really cool setting yeah, for a final. Yeah, like... um, really cool location. Yeah, um, could have been an old church, could have been an old... It's some sort of old building. Yeah, but... uh, I think it's, they refer to it as the old polo club, and the exteriors, and I don't know if the interior is the same location, but both both are good locations. Um, so they're going to meet up there, but Scott Adkins is going to show up with some extra muscle. Um, yeah. And yeah, Tony Jaw is like, I know the local syndicate, so we're going to go meet up with them, and I'm going to call in a favor. And this is like a scene straight out of John Wick that feels yeah. a little out of place. <laughs> very out of place and i believe if before we get too far but i'm pretty sure it was the heiress's idea to kind of set up this yeah, fake because says, they're use, all, they're aware it's going to be a double cross on both sides yeah like, Tony, Tony Jaw doesn't like betray them like when he pulls out his phone <laughs> like ha fooled you both <laughs> no it, it was very much kind of like both sides know it's just a bloodbath in the making but it's presented as hey we're gonna have this exchange and scott adkins intention is they're gonna get there early with the, all this extra muscle and take them all out. Yeah. And basically Tony John and Tiger Chen are going to arm themselves and go in and fuck shit up. Yeah. So we go to Michael Wong's house. Yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't know that he was going to actually make an appearance in the film proper. Cause up until this point, I think we've only seen the back of his head. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, okay. Hey, Michael Wong. And apparently he and Tony Jaa have history. 
Uh, Tony Jaa's character's name is Paiyu, I believe. Yes. Uh, in the local tongue, I don't know if it's supposed to be Thai or if it's a made-up word. I guess it means like storm or something. Um, but I guess he got his name from his fighting prowess and his killing ability. Yeah. Which seems kind of weird, being as he's also the clown. And it's an unnecessary detail at this point, because he's already proven himself to be more than competent. Yeah, like, yeah. you really don't need to add to it that he has this dark backstory as being a former criminal. Like, like you really could just say he, he served in the military and just was really good yeah, at it. Yeah, like, it felt like a disparate element that's like, I don't know that I needed that. And <laughs> I think they wisely knew that, because Tony Jaa actually cuts him off and says, Hey, shut up! <laughs> like, we don't want to get into that, because <laughs> we forgot to write that part. <laughs> um, but... Michael Wong makes reference to cashing in a chip. So I guess Tony Jaa has a favor over him. Mm -hmm. And uh, he turns on the lights and the the room is lined with weapons. And it's a it's a good old-fashioned arming up scene. Yep. Um, we get some assault rifles and some knives and we head off on our riverboat to the polo club. After Michael Wong points his finger and yells at the heiress about how her donation won't do anything. <laughs> I'll show you. My money will fix everything. <laughs> yeah. It's, again, it's it's there. It's supposed to be like, you know, even though you were the very people you're trying to eradicate, you had to come to us for... One of those things that didn't need to be there. Yeah, he basically like mouths off to her about like, oh yeah, you think you're gonna stop the syndicate? It's like a hydra. You cut off one head, another grows back in its place. Yeah, and, and it's he's an it's one thing that constantly happens throughout this movie, and I think it's just these actors in general, but little too charismatic of a figure for that part. Like if you're gonna have this like stupid sequence where he's gonna like yell at her about like how you're never gonna take out this syndicate, like. You're just kind of, when you first see him, you're like, wow, he's helping him out. That's cool. Like, just leave it at that. It's really all you need. That's what, like, movies like John Wick have down. It's like you have this neat figure where that has a bunch of guns, a cachet or where. Just leave it at that. You don't need to have anything more depth to it. Or, like, you know, Kickboxer, they had the expat guy that just happened to have a fucking M16 and a grenade launcher on him. Well, that's what, like, you just have him be the criminal and just kind of have him be menacing from afar. And it's like, yeah, go ahead and take the shit. And, you know... It doesn't need to be set explicitly like, you know, you're trying to take us out, but, you know. Well, the, the thought, like, what I thought they were doing was that, like, maybe he was playing them against the mystery mystery lady. It, it is confusing just because like he's on the was, phone yeah. multiple times with various members of the quote-unquote bad guys, I guess. Yeah, so. I, I think maybe it was supposed to be conveyed as that, but I, it was a little muddled, like... I, I mean, if that's the angle they're playing, then it makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. it's, it's simple enough to follow, but it just wasn't conveyed correctly. Yeah. Um, yeah, but then we head off to the polo club, and uh, it's nighttime now. Uh, we got some fire barrels going, which <laughs> lead to some pretty cool lighting. Upstairs looks like a, what, the early parts of a meatloaf music video with lots of <laughs> curtains blowing. Yes. <laughs> lots of white curtains and blue lighting. Um, I'd do anything for love. <laughs> um, and then I believe Tony Ja, yeah, Tiger Chen walks in with Selena J. And uh, he and Scott Adkins have a bit of an exchange. So they're talking. And Tony Ja is like sneaking around, capping people with his silenced assault rifle. And no joke, he like kills all the hired guns. 
All of them. All of them. <laughs> and then he decides to take his silencer off to kill the last two because I guess he's feeling good about himself. <laughs> so, uh, so obviously the exchange doesn't go as planned. Um, nobody gets paid. Uh, Tiger Chen ushers Selena Jade to cover, and we all start shooting at each other. And then um, by this point, we have a certain number of figures left on the table. It's like it's pretty obvious we're we're gonna start pairing off, and some shit's gonna start happening. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> it's basically three versus three, though. At this yeah, point. it's kind of perfect. Um, one objection was the way uh, the hired guns were dismissed. So uneventfully it's like why even have them (laughs) yeah it was and especially for tony ja because one thing that's kind of absent from this movie is group fights yeah um there are not any like crowd fights like you know traditional especially like hong kong martial arts movies you know you're used to seeing like the 20 on one thing or whatever it's kind of bullshit but it's always fun to watch and tony ja in particular is noteworthy for that yeah there's that one scene in tom young gung that ron smorenberg is in exclusively to have his leg broken <laughs> um, because he's flexible uh where like 50 guys run at him all in sequence and he dispatches them one after the other it's a it's spectacular it's stupid but it's fun and that would have been really cool it would have been great to see our three heroes cut loose on a bunch of jobbers well and it also i think that was a sequence they should have had a more explicit moment of like eco kind of like showing he's there with them like yeah. th- there really isn't that sequence for a movie called Triple Threat. Yeah, the, the where all show. three of them are kind of like back to back, back to, to back. back to back. <laughs> like I mean it's corny but that's how these movies are supposed to go and and yeah, they are they should wipe out a whole room full of jobbers. Well, that, that would be awesome. Amazing. That would have been amazing cuz that that's the moment where the team coalesces and mm-hmm. you're right, we never really did get that. We get two at a time but not really Yeah, there's three. moments where they kind of help each other out but it's always because one of them's been dispatched or disposed of in some way like there's never we we need we need we're spoiled by like the they call it like the avengers like glamour shot where it's the 360 yeah i mean shot. that's the ultimate one that's the ultimate one that's very hard to top in fact they tried in subsequent films and kind of fell flat on their face i'm looking at you age of ultron but <laughs> um yeah it would have been nice to like see the group all come together and do some group choreography like shit like slingshotting each other into people or like alley-oops or like group clotheslines well and more more so um because i guess this is going to lead into it because basically really all you need to know for these final sequences they all kind of break off into individual fights with yeah. individual members yeah. like um who is it? it's uh tiger gets michael bisbang yeah. uh tony ja and fights with um scott adkins. scott adkins and Ego fights with Michael Jai White, who knew kind of knew all along he was double crossing them, and they all put up pretty good fights. Yeah, um, um, they do the one thing that I tend to object to in action movies, where you're cutting from one fight to another. Mm-hmm. That's they're all pretty well choreographed scenes and pretty well executed. It's it's very hard to nail down the timing on when to cut from one to the other. I liked, I really did like what they did with Tony Jaa and Scott Adkins, where um, Tiger and Eco, both of their fights are strictly just martial arts fights. Um, and in fact, Tiger and Michael Bisping, the exploration of the environment's kind of fun. They go through some walls, <laughs> so like they, they have a lot of movement in that scene. But Tony and, and Scott Adkins, while these fist fights are happening, um, they're still armed. They're still mm-hmm. shooting at each other, and they're kind of maneuvering through the, the polo club or whatever. 
so it gives you a, a good editing excuse to like relegate that to the end of the sequence because they're they're still doing their thing they're not quite doing what the other guys are doing yet what i was going to say with these fi- last final fights and I, I think the reason that we really needed jobbers in it is because one of the reasons like some of the coolest stuff would come out of like different parts of the world like when it comes to martial arts movies and all is because you can get around certain like stunt rules like for an american movie for instance like it's hard to get people who are willing to get punched in the face to make a movie in fact i don't think it's legal really (laughs) you can do it like accidentally inadvertently or whatever but like the whole point is to kind of like mimic these things versus like so many great jackie chan movies and all kind of came from two people really just kicking the shit out of each other (laughs) yeah i'm pretty sure and benny arquita's was not known for pulling his punches well no and all these guys like that's kind of their thing like that's how they got to be established was a lot of these guys were willing to put themselves on the line get beat up to make a sequence look amazing it's a lot harder to do that when you're dealing with people on similar tiers and even though these aren't a-list superstars they're still big enough where they can't afford to break their nose they're they're big enough that they have stunt doubles they either have stunt doubles or just the choreography has to be toned down a bit and when you're fighting with jobbers, they can be anybody. You can literally have them fighting professional stunt people, which usually they are in these instances, yeah. <clears throat> where it doesn't matter if the guy gets flung off or something or whatever, because that's what they're there for. Yeah, You know, you can have some riskier things in there. As it stands, when you have these one-on-one fights with these bigger named actors, it plays out like wrestling. Well, and when it plays out like wrestling, the problem I have with it, especially with Scott Atkins, is it reminds me too much of... Um, Who's the guy recently came about? I believe his name is Virgil. Or. Virgil? Not Virgil. The guy who does flips and stuff like that. He's came about very recently. Oh, um, the acrobat. I know who you're talking about. It's not Virgil. It's not Virgil. Virgil was back in the. He was the butler guy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He was Ted DiBiase's valet. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Oh man, it's right on the tip of my tongue, but um, I, he does the red arrow. Yes. Yeah. The difference between like like there's always been acrobatic wrestlers throughout, but they ne- typically Neville maybe Neville. That's who it is. <laughs> Scott Atkins is Neville in this movie. Okay. And when I say that, it's Neville is amazing. The stuff he does is incredible. But what sucks about it is, it's when it's on display, like everything stops. It's true. Because everybody in the crowd just is in awe of what he's doing. And with Scott Atkins, some of the flips and crazy kicks he does, that's kind of how the action works. And especially when you're inter- bouncing between three fights at all, it's really like throws you for a loop when all of a sudden this guy busts out with something that's so far and above anything anyone else is doing. I like mean, he makes Bisbing look so embarrassing. It was actually kind of amazing because this is why I like Scott Atkins. This is why I've followed his career so extensively since I watched Undisputed 2 is that when you jump from his stuff to someone else, there is a clear difference in quality. Like, right. He is, a, he is a step above most people. But what I was going to say is, like, we've always seen, like, acrobatic wrestlers. But mm-hmm. the problem was they were usually either little Asian guys or little Mexican guys. And the typical American audience was never that big of a fan or as impressed seeing these guys do these crazy th- acrobatic things. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, you know racism <laughs> you maybe you know when you see a guy like a jeff hardy come along you know everyone is just in awe of their things the difference is when a jeff hardy or a daniel bryan would do these crazy athletic moves there was always kind of this it was like watching 
a skateboard video or something. It was like, this guy might break his neck doing it, but we're all going to be really excited if he pulls it off. It took you a long time to realize, like, no, he's just that athletic that he's got it down. But most of the time, he was just kind of launching himself. When Neville goes out there, he's so talented because he's a true gymnast. He's going to nail it every time. Yeah. And that's Scott Atkins, too. Like, when he does his sequences, like, you expect it to perfection. You get it. It's like clockwork. But it's almost too good in that yeah. sense. because I, I know what you mean. And, and even in terms of setup, too, where it's like you need to get these, like, glamour shots because what's being shown to you, if it's not showcased properly, it's like a disservice. It's a waste, yeah. Yeah, it, like the example you're using with Neville, when he does the red arrow, the guy on the mat is making sure he's in the right spot and, mm-hmm. and nobody is hitting the ropes because if he fucks it up, he's dead. <laughs> like, well, and <laughs> that's when the crowd too, like you, you had mentioned earlier about being like the smart marks where at that point they don't care if they see the guy who's supposed to be like, you know, injured on the mat kind of repositioning yeah, like, himself a bit <laughs> because, because they know that there's a lot that goes into this. This is, you're no longer witnessing a wrestling match. You're watching a feat of, gymnastics essentially no you you want to see him hit the triple indy (laughs) Mm -hmm. and that but that was the one thing i would say that bummed me out about these last fight sequences is i really kind of wanted to see either two guys going toe-to-toe with those kind of things or just cut that out and just focus on you know the brutal one-on-one action because as it stood out like i said scott adkins abilities look so far and above in terms of stunt work yeah which I don't think it's fair given, you know, but that's me just looking at it from an outsider. The true fans of it know what's going on. Well, part a little bit of a detriment in the film is the is the tone. Is yes. that because it's akin to like an expendables or something, this is a fan film. This is meant to be crowd pleasing. Um, and in order to be crowd pleasing, I don't think anybody would wanna would picture, I guess, like Scott Atkins getting in a, a raid-esque life and death battle with Eco Wise that lasts 10 minutes and has, you know, chunks of faces getting torn off and stuff. This is true. Because pe- Scott Atkins has fans, and one, it's, it is still unusual to see him as, like, the bad guy. <laughs> and two, it's like, that's too brutal. Like, yeah. that's not what we're paying to see. We're paying to see everyone's greatest hits. Uh, it just true. so happens that Scott Atkins is the one with the greatest hits. Like, mm-hmm. Eco Wise's greatest gift as a performer and a choreographer is that he's so goddamn fluid and malleable. Yeah. You can you put him in there with a guy that does Tai Chi. You put him in there with a guy who does Taekwondo. You put him in there with fucking 250-pound Michael Jai White, and he performs, like, ably. Yeah. Scott Adkins, though, has fucking... He has his own kicks. <laughs> he has kicks that like people think of him when they when they see it. Yeah, it's like Van Damme's like leaping, spinning back kick. It's like it's he does have like specific beats that if you don't see it, you're gonna be a little disappointed. Yeah, it's like if The Rock doesn't do the Rock Bottom or the People's Elbow, you're you're like what what he won <laughs> and he didn't do any of his signature moves. That's some bullshit. Um, but yeah, the the, the fights the way they're packaged, as far as I, I recall, um. Michael Bisping and Tiger Chen go at it, and simultaneously, uh, Iko and Michael Jai White square off. Obviously, the latter gets a little bit more gravitas applied to it because this has actually had some build. Um, so Michael Jai White's like, aha, I got you now. And uh, 
Iko has this really fun martial arts movie moment where he uh, he has an assault rifle. Mm-hmm. Uh, he empties the clip into the the magazine, rather, into the floor. And says, right, oh, yeah. <laughs> For this, I will kill you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they square off. And this this is where I think both you and I were like, yay, Michael Jai White decided to work today. Because, <laughs> yeah, he, he actually acquits himself quite ably, as, as he always does. But up until this point in the movie, he was drinking beer and driving the whole time. And I, and I will say, I'm not shitting on the end of the movie by any stretch. Because actually, they, from what, everything you said, is there. Yeah. Like, they do a, a service to the fans of all these actors. They do get to showcase what they're good at. Absolutely. I was kind of hoping to see just a bit more. And I think that they could have done it if they had more time with all of them, maybe... Again, I would like to see Scott Atkins versus all three of the guys. I know. That's, that's what the, I, I think, wondering. really what I'm trying to say. Because Michael Jai White handles himself great. And Bisbing is admirable for being a first role. Yeah, And again, absolutely. especially in the level of guys he's like on film with, you know. Yeah, we forgot to mention, he has a skirmish with Tiger Chen earlier in the movie. And again, he performs quite ably. Yeah, I, I mean, I, like I said, I think there's there's something to work with for him. Like, but it's all it's all just timing and understanding what what the camera does went to your performance. Yes, well, and just trying not to murder the person. Like trying not to murder the person, but yeah, he he does a little bit of waiting. I, I think it's called having egg on your face, where like he'll be a step ahead in the choreography, where it's like he's already holding his hand for the block that for the the blow that hasn't come yet. Yeah, and his footwork's a little confused at times, where it's like. I know this isn't right, but this is where your feet need to be to hit the beats that you need to hit. I, I just think if you had had a Scott Adkins versus all three. I wanted that very badly. Some of those moves I'm describing wouldn't be stand out as much as be just being a, Because, yeah, they are. Because, like, like I said, most of the action actually is, up until this point is very utilitarian and realistic. Yeah. It's not until Scott Adkins starts hand-to-hand combat that all of a sudden he busts out these crazy flip kicks that... He does and is amazing for, and I love seeing him. Don't you know? I love that shit, but <laughs> but it does kind of come out of nowhere, and it's very like stylistically, it is very different from everything we've seen. Up yeah, this point. which would have been really cool again if he's kicking all three guys at once. But when it's just like him versus Tony Jaa, yeah. at this point, you really want to see Tony Jaa beat his ass. Like it's kind of <laughs> like, whoa, you just did that. How you gonna one up that one? Yeah, it's like I don't know, guys. Like I don't know if you're gonna top that. But yeah, Tiger Chan and Michael Bisping fight for a bit. They, like I said, they go through a wall. It's pretty cool. There's a funky beat in here that, like, I don't know if this is to appeal to Chinese audiences or whatever, but he says to Michael Bisping, we don't have to do this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Michael Bisping's like, yes, we do. And it felt straight out of, like, Ip Man 2 or something where poor Darren Shalavi, rest his soul, he, he did pass. Um, 80% of his dialogue in that movie is, Come on! Come on! Come on! <laughs> um, but yeah, he uh, ends up hitting Michael Bisping in the head with a cinder block. <laughs> we, yep. don't, we don't have to do this. <laughs> um, meanwhile, Tony, uh, Iko and uh, Michael Jai White are going at it upstairs, and the editing is a little funky here, because Iko is like working his legs, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. He's a gigantic fucking dude. <laughs> um... But the way it's edited, we're cutting back and forth between these two fights, and it looks like Eco's doing Eco's doing fine. But then we cut back, and he's like on the floor, and he's got blood coming out of his mouth, and it's like, oh, I guess he's losing now. <laughs> and Michael Jai White starts like countering him and, and handling him pretty badly, 
And out of nowhere, very much out of nowhere, very similar to the police station, um, Tiger Chen just kind of shows up and like launches himself into Michael Jai White. And I think Eco drop kicks him and he falls onto like a banister that's been broken and mm-hmm. gets impaled. And it's just this very sudden end to this very personal fight that didn't feel earned at all. It's like, oh, so Iko is really bad at avenging his wife. Yeah. <laughs> he's very bad at it because he's he, he keeps telling everyone, for this, I'll kill you with my bare hands. And I don't think he kills a single person with his bare hands. And that, again... But who's the movie made for? Like, is that because again, it's tough enough for him making some of these movies because you're not even supposed to hit people in the head, like yeah. in certain parts of the world. Yeah, so. yeah. no more um, steel chair shots to the head. Yeah, and in the end, he is the only one whose hands are clean, kind of walking away from it. I guess, so. but you know, he he and Michael J. White have had this feud. It's the only feud in the whole movie, and uh, he just kind of gets the guy. Yeah, he doesn't defeat him. He he wins. Yeah, uh, which. Nobody likes a draw, even if, you know, one guy dies. Um, which brings us to Tony Jaa and Scott Adkins. Um, it's everything you'd want it to be. Yes. Um, it's, it's all too brief, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but both guys get to do their signature movements. There's some pretty fucking great handwork, which is maybe my favorite thing in choreography. Mm-hmm. Like, big flashy kicks are good. They're like uh, exclamation points in your, in your punctuation tool set. Yeah. You don't use them all the time, but when you do, it's like, mm. mm-hmm. it's, like <laughs> it's like if The Rock did a DDT over and over and over again. You'd get pretty fucking tired of it. You I gotta, don't know. Every video game I ever played with them, that's well, kind yeah, you of... got to get that special meter up, and you got to do the signature move to do that fast. <laughs> but every once in a while, you got to do the punches with the, the, you know, the look at the palm, the mm-hmm. slap punch or whatever, where they do the backflip. But, yeah, um... The handwork in the scene is pretty great, and mm-hmm. it's those it's those half beats. Yes, where it's it looks like filler, but if it's done right, it looks amazing, mm-hmm. and it doesn't look rehearsed. It doesn't look choreographed, which is the kind of stuff I like. Um, I was always critical of uh, Yuan Wu Ping on the Matrix movies and some of his other movies, where his favorite filler beat in his fights is roll up person's arm under your armpit. And then punch him in the stomach like three times and then break off and do something else because we ran out of ideas. (laughs) Thankfully, there's none of that in the scene. But um, Tony Jaa, always a dynamic performer. His his lunging knees look dangerous as fuck. (laughs) Like, I would not want to be the guy on the receiving end of that because... I know he's coordinated, but Jesus fuck! <laughs> like, like I said, some of that stuff you you don't fake. You yeah. just take it and kind of. <laughs> I mean, Scott Adkins does allude to taking some bumps on the on the set, so it's like you know, I'm sure everybody did, but they, it paid off. And yeah, we get his trademark elbow strikes, his lunging knees, lots of aerial work, and then Eco shows up, <laughs> and we get a bit of two on one stuff, and it's again pretty spectacular. Very brief, but it's yeah, very it's spectacular. way too brief. It. it Star Wars Episode Two, like I like how in the trailer they show Anakin with his two lightsabers, literally just that shot yep. is, is like the entirety of the fight with him using two lightsabers. It's pitiful, but way too brief. It's unfortunate too because I forgot to mention uh, this film is choreographed by Tim Mann, mm. um, who Scott Adkins and Jesse Johnson have both worked with many times by this point, um, and. He seems to have a gift for two-on-one fights. Um, We've seen it before in uh, Accident Man, 
which I think was actually filmed after this, and uh, which was Ray Park and Michael Jai White versus Scott Adkins. Hmm. It's a good one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And Undisputed 4, Tim Munn himself is involved in it, and it's a two-on-one fight between him, another gentleman whose name I can't recall, and Scott Adkins. And in a movie with many, many good fights, I'd say that's actually the highlight. Okay. Um, So he seems to have a knack for that. Which, yeah. which makes it all the more disappointing. That's like, oh. <laughs> but, again, low-budget film scheduling, um, I'd imagine that would be a reason for kind of having a shorter fight. Um, it's good stuff, but too brief. And you you would like to have seen Eco spotlighted a bit more. Unfortunately, he's kind of sidelined throughout the entire movie. Yeah, he really never gets a signature thing. The opening with Tony Ja, actually, I think is his best moment in the whole movie. Just yeah. that, like, 20-second skirmish in the camp. And like I said, I feel like that one gets hindered by you don't necessarily grasp the gravity of that. Yeah, there's until... there's no there's no emotional stake at that point. You know mm-hmm. he's angry. You don't know a thing about Tony. Yeah, like, that could have been such a different sequence if you even just had a sequence of him looking up after holding his dying wife and seeing Tony Ja holding a gun looking at <laughs> Yeah, like, honestly, like... <laughs> Like that could have been a brilliant like little beat because you know it does set that kind of tone, but but then the rest of the plot is that he immediately befriends him after getting his butt kicked by him. So, but Asian movies Asian. like this aren't heavy on plot. So no, um, but then the the fight takes a weird turn. Yeah. Um, Scott Adkins wins. He incapacitates both guys. Eco uh, falls off the balcony and through a through a table. <laughs> <laughs> My God. <laughs> And uh, he's just out. And I thought he was going to get up, but he didn't. <laughs> and I was so disappointed in him. I was like, you mean you get your ass kicked for 10 minutes straight in the raid? You fight 50 people at the end of the raid 2 with multiple lacerations, but you fall through a table and you're out? The fuck, man? <laughs> Hopefully he was doing something better with his time. But yeah, Scott Adkins dispatches both Tony Ja. And equal wise, and he heads downstairs, and he picks up his rifle, and now he's coming for the girl, mm-hmm. and he gets ready to shoot her, and he's pretty pissed. <laughs> uh, but then Tiger Chen <laughs> shows up and takes a bullet for her, uh, bodyguard style. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> or uh, what in the line of fire, the Clint Eastwood movie? Or yeah, yeah. Um, and then they don't fight, <laughs> which was very surprising. <laughs> um, yeah, he and Tiger Chen never exchange blows sure (laughs) um he gets angry because apparently that was his last bullet and he has some choice words about killing chinese women and then tony jaw comes down the stairs and he's mad he's gone super (laughs) saiyan and he says like i think you left me for dead twice it won't happen a third time and now we're now we're in the main like foyer or whatever and we have our flame barrel lit spec like Upstairs is where we fought before, and that's with the meatloaf lighting with the curtains. Yeah, in a dining hall of some sort. Now we're now we're in the foyer where like there's the the fire barrel, so it's pretty cool lighting. And uh, very disappointed, very disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tony Jaw wins, just one on one. Tony Jaw wins. Just knives are involved. <laughs> N- knives come out at some point. Um, again. Uh, they do the little man, big man thing where Tony starts like working the, the joints and stuff. It's it's a classic of his, his repertoire. He, he does it in a lot of his movies. Um, 
that's how you take down an elephant. (laughs) 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 Um, It doesn't work as it doesn't sell as well because Scott Scott Adkins, while jacked to shit, is actually not that tall. Yeah, it's he doesn't look like a super big guy. No, he looks very comparable in size. Yeah, other than like his body, like he's clearly in much better shape. But but um, yeah, he just kind of wins. They they have they have a back and forth. He starts working the joints. Uh, Scott Adkins starts to weaken a bit, so he pulls out a knife, the dirty pool. Like, mm-hmm. It's like he pulled out, he pulled out the equalizer, the brack, the brass knucks. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do that. Um, and uh, Tony Jaw also has a knife, and he stabs him in both the man boobs, and just falls down and dies. And the whole time, I'm just like, what is happening? <laughs> like, yeah, know. a bit of a Chekhov's gun too. With a specific gun <laughs> is uh, before all the action kicks off. They hide the heiress. Uh, Tiger Chen pulls her aside and tells her, like, here's a gun. Hold on to it. When Point and shoot, basically. You know, the classic, you know, yeah. empty the clip. You're good. Steven Seagal tells it to every woman he's ever saved. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, in a position that Scott Adkins should have been in in any other movie the character who comes back from the dead is Michael Bisbing instead. Yeah, Michael Bisbing does the Alexander Goodenough. He does the Carl. Yeah. <laughs> and just like Carl is dispatched by a character who has no purpose in shooting a gun the whole entire movie. But yeah. the heiress shoots him, takes him out. And now she's scarred for life. <laughs> yeah, she's killed more people than Eco in this entire movie. <laughs> Seriously. The staircase got that kill, not Eco. Yeah, so it's, it's a really kind of just it's a little rushed and clumsy uh, because i've i think i've mentioned it before um on the show there's a movie called invisible target i think it's a chinese movie um the finale involves our three characters our three main protagonists um fighting jing Wu or wu jing uh, the fellow from the wolf warrior movies and throughout the movie he has been demonstrated to be leaps and bounds ahead of them in terms of martial arts ability in real life or otherwise um and the way that fight is staged we get to see all three of them one at a time with him and then at the end it takes all three of them to take him out and it feels so earned where it's like they literally couldn't have won if they weren't a triple threat mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's really all i needed to see was imagine scott adkins being killed in the same way like having his his like limbs taken out one at a time except it's like oh it's all three of them yep and they're all helping each other and they even do this amazing beat in Invisible Target where one guy's like lunging at Wu Jing mm-hmm. and he's trying to punch him, but he can't quite reach. And then the other guy has to push his knuckles <laughs> forward. And then the third guy like rams into their back and it's one fist, but three people sitting behind the force of it. So they, they triple punch him. It's amazing. Well, and that's kind of... Honestly, it would have been a fun end to it versus the way it feels. Again, it, it, it's the weird tone where, and it, we established why it was, but when you have Scott Adkins busting out all these crazy, insane acrobatic things, and then it just kind of ends in a very like utilitarian sort of like, this is probably how a skirmish like this would end. Two knives get involved and the guy gets stabbed, mm-hmm. and that's it. The big bad villain is just. But at the very least, it needed to be Eco's kill. But I think, again, I think from the audience standpoint, I think it was very important to have him end it without getting his hands dirty. Like, I mean, yes, he fought and stuff, but he didn't kill anybody the whole movie. Yeah. Like, he's actually a 
you know. And Tony's character is the one who's established to have the dark past. So it yeah, all the other ones are like soldiers, so they have an excuse. But you know, and for whatever reason, Eco's the guy. He avenges his wife, but at the same time, does it without having to be a murderer. Also, in Asian territories in particular, like worldwide, I'm not so sure, but Asia, Tony Ja actually has a lot of cachet. Mm-hmm. Like, so he, I could see him as being like perceived as the headliner where it's like oh you didn't have him and scott adkins fight how dare you yeah yeah no i think uh probably at the time most of this was filmed he definitely was i would I say eco's the bigger name now tony jaw has been popping up in in chinese movies a lot lately mm-hmm. um what was it uh, i forget the name of it but it was a wilson yip movie and he's in the the new yip Man side story <laughs> <laughs> But and uh, SPL two, so he's he is a force in Chinese cinema. They yeah, kind of, I say I say they adopted him. <laughs> so like, like early, they just kind of like said, "Oh, you can hang out with us now. <laughs> You're not doing anything in Thailand, right?" <laughs> I just feel like there were a lot of like very subtle moments too that were like China is the obvious market for this, but like there were a lot pointed at Indonesia. I feel like too. Like, it's it is mentioned a couple of times. It's, I mean, it's a word that doesn't pop up in in American English very often. So, yeah. does, I mean, honestly, it's not a word that gets spoken very often coming from American lips. But yeah, Michael Jai White does make mention of his Indonesian heritage a couple of times. Well, and there's that like one character too. He's like a general or something in the jungle at the very beginning where he like makes a comment like you're pretty tall for a burmese or something yeah. like that and he's, he's like, like i'm oh. indonesia and then they shoot him <laughs> it's, like, it's a very weird sequence but it's almost like i mean but that's the whole thing like you have to remember being an american watching things is like representation for a tiny country is a huge deal and it's not a tiny country no indonesia is vast but in terms of like a market or whatever we consider it to be a very oh, small and- like thanks to Netflix and stuff, we've seen that there's something going on in Indonesian cinema right now. Mm-hmm. We're, we're getting a lot of martial arts movies specifically imported from Indonesia. But that's what I'm saying is like I do wonder if some of Eco's character was adapted to be more appealing to that audience. I mean, in fact, put it this way: Mahajaya is not a real country. Indonesia is right. They could have said he's from anywhere. And also, I would not be shocked. I didn't have not going to take the time to go back and look but really like i said that is a big thing like over in certain parts of the world like even just like contact with the head and not only did he not kill anybody but i wouldn't be shocked if he didn't even hit anybody really in the face like (laughs) like just because that's i mean they it's very specific for a reason despite this guy's whole character supposed to be this avenging warlord he doesn't drink he doesn't kill you know it's it's a little yeah, there's something interesting going. yeah like good point he, i do remember the not drinking thing and he is kind of framed as being a mostly righteous figure despite having violent intent yeah i mean the fact that he buries all of his whole unit of people who are killed even though they're all supposed to be just random guns he, for hire he, he would have been three days behind them <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> but yeah our film concludes with uh the chinese embassy pulled through they sent the cops to the, the polo club and a Chinese bodyguard lady, she's still alive, unfortunately for her. She's, yes. she's very deep upset. regrets over this. Deep regrets over this. She she wishes she had caught that bullet just a few inches to the left or the right. Um, she shows up. She's like, Eris, are you okay? And yeah, she is. Um, 
And yeah, just a happy ending for everyone, I guess. Even Eco, who I mean, he seems at peace. Ends that way with them all just kind of laughing. Yeah, even though they've all been shot ground. and beaten to shit. But... Yeah, Tiger's been shot. <laughs> Tony got cut or stabbed. He, despite getting his ass kicked by Scott Adkins a few minutes earlier, by the end of the movie, in terms of like the damage he's displaying, it's like akin to a Steven Seagal beating, where it's mm-hmm. like in Under Siege. Like maybe the only wound that he incurs in that whole movie is he allows allows Tommy Lee Jones to like snick him right on the eyebrow. <laughs> and that's it. So he, everybody's fine. <laughs> I, I was going to say at the end of the day, like the big question I kept asking, who's this movie made for? And yeah. I, I would make the strong argument like, yes, there's all the international audiences that were a big pool. But I think the director did a fantastic job at the very least making everyone making it very apparent why all these figures should matter in Mm -hmm. cinema like it is for fans like yourself of the these lower tier action movies that are always going to be prevalent and are very important there's a lot a big audience for this stuff like Mm -hmm. you know it's it's actually kind of neat seeing it now that it's its own separation now there's a very defined a-list for action movies versus when we were younger where all action movies kind of got lumped together yeah now there's a very distinctive like there's hollywood a-list action and now there's this second tier that you know your high point might be featured on netflix or something but that's a huge huge market in itself gigantic platform and there's tons of possibilities for eyes to find you yeah and there's plenty of aspiring martial artists and wannabe action stars and all that who are going to grow up loving this stuff and i think that the coolest thing about this is it follows through in its duty of being essentially an an acknowledgement of all that these guys have done in their own way like they do showcase all of their abilities yeah it it does a very good job of attempting to balance things and allowing everybody to have at least a moment yeah like nobody, that's, nobody that's feels really like they got is. shafted even dominic vandenberg who does almost nothing in this movie he gets a spectacular random death <laughs> like it it feels like a film that was taken seriously during production and has some love put into it and that's mostly what i was hoping for yeah. I, I wasn't expecting this to be anyone's best work no but the novelty of seeing all of these personalities on screen together like i got what i wanted (laughs) and i think it came out even despite the rocky kind of release or whatever i think it came out the perfect time in all their careers because a few of those guys are pretty close to falling off um yeah like i said bisbing is going to have a career it's probably not going to be the best one he and wade barrett need to make a movie together (laughs) that would be that would be amazing It'd be like the Barbarian Brothers, but British. <laughs> they should do a British soccer hooligan version of Goon. Oh, man, that would be amazing. Just like two shithead brothers. Two brothers. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a script that needs to get written. <laughs> no, but uh, that's really, like, at the end of the day, it was worth it for that. Because anybody who's seen any of these movies, like, it, it will make you happy to see that at least somebody gets it <laughs> like, yeah, no it it's i mean i've heard the avengers described as a cinematic high five mm-hmm. where it's like we got to the finish line we did it yeah and like that's why the last half hour of that movie is just like awesomeness mm-hmm. it's like it's not there's not even any real tension to it it's just like watch watch awesome people do awesome things and this movie kind of feels like that where it's like it's almost like a gift to all these people almost well, it, almost as like a paying tribute to all these these great exactly. actors. Exactly. And that's I guess the Avengers is a perfect like comparison that 
like I've always contended like the reason the Avengers works is that they modeled all of these actors like fictional characters after the actors' personalities. Like, like wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> like everything is wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like because they allow that, it makes it easy for these actors to show up and just bang it out because it's you know, there it's not a stretch. Like yeah. there there's not a lot of effort. I mean there's enough effort. Like they don't phone it in, but like because it's a, just a heightened exaggerated version of themselves, it, it goes pretty smoothly. Yeah. And the With, person you're following on Twitter is pretty close to the person that you're seeing on the screen. Exactly. But that's what I was saying what's neat with this is you're dealing with people who they're not it's not the personality or the acting it's the choreography and the action component of it yeah and that's allowed to really stand out and it's very distinctive and and got to be really tough to choreograph all those different like levels of talent yeah well i mean i would think like agility is a big part of it where it's like michael jai white is a capable performer but he's a very large man and moves at a different pace than someone like eco wise it's like finding that push and pull like finding the proper rhythm to get these two performers synced up on schedule because um needs to be said a lot of like hong kong movies in particular like the amount of time they set aside for fight scenes is like weeks Mm -hmm. like even in hollywood movies it's like good luck finding weeks to do a single scene that you know involves the top talent like robert downey jr is not going to like devote weeks to doing like a fight scene or something <laughs> like fuck that <laughs> so like i seriously doubt they had a huge amount of time to put these scenes together but they did <laughs> so any complaints i have about like the brevity of some of the sequences or like flaws in like editing or whatever it's like i get it they didn't have a lot of time and money and they they made a decent product anyway and i'm happy for it yeah <laughs> so on that note, I guess we're wrapping up here, but uh, thank you again, brother, for brother, uh, <laughs> for uh, coming to the theater with me, because this, this actually meant something to me. Like, I know it's like a tiny, tiny movie that I won't shut up about, but nobody else seems to even know exists, but for me to have an opportunity to see it in theaters, like a film that apparently only screened on 150 <laughs> theaters for a single fucking night, uh, it's pretty pretty big deal to me and i'm really glad i got to see it and i look forward to actually checking it out again no it was it was great uh great experience and uh i'm happy to have seen it all right well thanks again for joining me uh tune in next time